Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! on everybody welcome to the first post game live of the playoffs 2023 game ones talking every single game one here on dime dropper because man listen i watched every single one of these games and i'll tell you what like there's just nothing better than playoff basketball i mean is there anything better than the playoffs dude playoffs <laughs> shout out to the great jim mora man what a first weekend of games. Eight games to talk about and so little time. Just kidding. I'll give you as much time as you need. And obviously, we're going to know where to start. L.A. all day, baby. Both teams coming out with the win on the road. So I already know my subscribers are happy. And the L.A. Kings kick off their campaign tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers. So L.A. hopefully will go 3-0, and stealing home court and home ice for the people here at Dime Dropper and the people of L.A. County. But anyways... I'm going to be talking about every single game. If you're listening to this video, man, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, bless you. God bless you. The timestamps are there if you want to just listen to a specific game or you don't want to hear me talk about a game that you don't necessarily care about. Uh, as far as YouTube, you know the deal, man. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the notification bell so you know every single time I go live or make a video. I did a preview for six out of eight series with fans from those teams. So if you want to go see, you know, the series are still young. If you want to go see what I said, some stuff aged really well. And I'm going to be talking about that as I do this uh, review or recap, analysis, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But man, super chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar, a dime, any donation counts. Uh, Every single time you guys give me something, man, seems like the equipment and the stuff we use just keeps getting better, keeps getting sharper. The presentation just keeps getting better. So anything you guys can give me helps, man. But yeah, follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Dime Dropper Pod. Let's get right into it. So I actually didn't take notes for any of these games. I was watching so many games, man. And uh, by the way, I want to refer to this uh, comment Raid Chowdhury said only the FIFA World Cup rivals the NBA playoffs. Absolutely right. Nothing's like the World Cup. Everybody on my channel knows that. But there's nothing better annually to me than the NBA playoffs, man. And, you know, I see a comment from Zachary Darrington. The series isn't over. Of course not, man. Listen, all season long, so let's get into the first game, Clippers and Suns. Duh. Let's be real, guys. All season long, I've been pretty negative about this team. And for good reason. They've shown us nothing. It's been all a let's see what happens in the playoffs kind of attitude. And so if that's the attitude that they wanted to have in the regular season, why should I get super hyped for any win? Now, you could also be saying, why did you get so down on wins? Because, again, we are still flirting with and battling history in this run. You know, we're going to be the five seed. It's going to be hard to win a championship like this. And I'm not going to let the way the season has gone deter us from what the initial goal was and what this potential roster is capable of and these group of players are capable of. You ask everybody in that locker room what we're playing for, and they're going to say championship. And they should realistically believe that too. Because if you go into the Suns locker room and ask them the same question, they're also going to say the same thing. 
And listen, the Suns are battling history too. You know, teams that make those kind of big moves in the middle of the season don't usually win chips. Seeds below the three don't usually win chips. So the Suns are battling with history basically as much as we are. But the point is, I've been pretty not too high on every single win we get all season. But it's so nice to finally be able to get high on a win, man. It's so nice to finally be able to celebrate a little bit, to get nervous, to really be able to just let out a yell like this shit really matters again, man. And then watching other teams and really dissecting the game and seeing adjustments, seeing teams play hard. I mean, since the playing game started, it's just been a different league, man. It's a different league. And I think that's my biggest issue with today's NBA, man. I, yeah, I'm not a biggest fan of the style, you know, the two, three point heavy, um, all that. Everybody knows that. But I still accept change, you know. The league changes. Every era has its own beauties and different stylistic beauties. But what I really don't like is that we don't see the best players enough in this era to me. In the reg- like the Back in the day, the regular season was good and the playoffs were amazing. Now the playoffs are amazing and the regular season, in my opinion, kind of sucks. So that's what makes the playoffs look even that much better and feel that much more important in today's game. Because I think the regular season can be so underwhelming. So I had so much fun this weekend. But let's get into it. So the Clippers, normal starting lineup. The Suns went with Torrey Craig instead of a Kogi. I predicted a Kogi. And so... I talked about for 47 minutes, my last episode, everything we needed to do to beat the Suns. But one thing I forgot about was the blatantly obvious as a Chris Ball. I was, I always say I have a PhD in CP3 and LeBron. Those are the two players I think I know better than anybody, in like anybody that's ever played. Um, Chris Paul, you got to funnel him to his left as much as you can because going to his right, he's one of the best to ever do it. He loves that right elbow. And I talked about how we sat on that right elbow, especially if it's a Zubats, has sat on that right elbow uh, so well when we played against Chris Paul in previous years and obviously in the 2021 Western Conference Finals, but you got to try to funnel him to his left as much as possible. And what I thought was really interesting in this game was to start, I'm always looking at you know how teams are guarding to start games. That's the first thing I look at when I watch any basketball game is how teams are guarding. And, and back in the day, it's who's matched up with who, but usually it's pretty self-explanatory. Back in the day, it was the point guard guards the, guards the point guard, the two guard guards the two, and everybody guards their positional matchup. But now it's really how are you going to guard certain pick and rolls. That's what everybody talks about. That's what coaches talk about. And the Suns did exactly what I predicted in my video. Exactly. They put Aiden on Zoo. They put Book on EJ. They put Craig on Kawhi. They hid CP3 on Nico. And they put Russ, or sorry, KD on Russ to have length on him. So when he drives, he's seeing obviously a guy with seven, you know, not a Chris Paul. People were talking about. Yeah, Russell Westbrook's got to take advantage of Chris Paul. I knew that they were not going to try to let Chris Paul guard Russ like that. It was going to be KD and then have CP3 hide on Nico. Because even if you put CP3 in the action, and if he, you know, he's not going to get abused by Nico and like the post or anything like that. So if you put CP3 in the action, maybe he'll be able to switch. If it's Russ, you know, running a little pick and pop with Nico, they can switch that and switch CP3 onto Russ. But they wouldn't start possessions with him guarding Russ. But what I thought was really interesting what was what we were doing. I thought we were going to go Nico guarding KD and then Book being guarded by EJ, Russ guarding CP, Zoo guarding Aiton, and then Kawhi hiding on Craig to conserve energy. But what we actually did was we had Nico guarding Book, Russ guarding KD, Kawhi was guarding Aiden, Zoo was guarding Craig, and then it was EJ guarding... Um, What's his name? CP? Yeah, CP. 
So, but the thing is, certain guys took a crack at everybody, but here's the craziest part was, so you're wondering, why did the Clippers do that? The reason why Zoo is guarding Torrey Craig is so he can come play help side defense as a seven-footer, just like the Grizzlies did with Jaron Jackson uh, with AD. And we also did it so that Kawhi guards Aiton, and so when Aiton, who's obviously going to set the most screens in the pick and roll for whether it be KD, Book, or CP3, they like to use the center as the roller, you know, Teams throughout history in basketball like to use their biggest guy to set the screen and roll. Now, the Clippers will switch that action. The only problem is, if it's a CP3 Aiton pick and roll, can Russ switch on to Aiton? And one time in the beginning of the game, you saw them throw it up over the top of Russ, and Aiton got a layup. But for the most part, they didn't really go with CP3 running pick and roll as much. It was a very low CP3 pick and roll kind of game. And every time they did, I think the Clippers did a hell of a job forcing him to his left, funneling him, funneling him that way. And making sure they were in his rear view. And, you know, CP3 going to his left, he has to come to a full stop. He's not shooting off, you know, on a dime with a guy at his hip like he's going to his right. Because what he does when he's going to his right is he'll shoot on a dime and then fade to his right as he turns his body to square his shoulders to the rim. That's his signature. He did that over and over with us, and he's done it throughout his career. But going to his left, he has to come to a full stop. And him being six feet, if you put a little bit of length on him, then sometimes he can't even get the shot off and often doesn't get clean looks. And in this game, we had a great rear view contest with CP. He was really quiet. But as I said, I think he, that's okay if he's really quiet offensively. He, I don't think he should be handling the ball and pick and roll so much all the time. He needs to be letting C, uh, KD and Book do more of that. He needs to make catch and shoot threes. He needs to play D. But he still needs to shoot better than what he shot tonight. I mean, what did he do? Two for eight. But he did, you know, 7 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. He almost had a triple-double. They needed him to score a little bit more. And I think he started playing better in the second half. But overall, not too concerned about him. I think, obviously, what stuck, stuck out was that Russ was guarding Kevin Durant and doing an amazing job. I mean, that was the best part about this game, man. Kate, Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook were the standouts. But, you know, the most this is a great lesson for all you kids out there, man, who want to know how to affect a game. When you are not hitting your shots. I always say, I always say this, guys. You know this. You're my fans, my followers. You always hear me say this. Missing shots is missing shots. It's going to happen and it happens to everyone. Sometimes you just can't control that. I know it sounds like a stupid thing. Of course you can control the shots you take. But sometimes you just have a bad night. It's basketball. It happens. But what you can control is all the other things in a game. The effort things. The attention to detail. The rebounding. The effort. And Russ... I said it in the preview, man. When he plays against Kevin Durant, it's a totally different level. It's a totally different type of fire. I mean, Russell Westbrook, for the most part, is pretty fiery. works hard. But when he's playing against KD, it's a different type of animal that comes out. And you saw that in this game. He was fighting over every screen, whether it be against CP, Booker, KD, hustling to get over him and get back in the play and poking the ball away from behind, getting blocks from behind, using his incredible bounce to swat shots from behind, kind of similarly to Patrick Beverly, how we used to do with the Clippers. I used to try to time those blocks when guys would go up when he was chasing them from behind. Russ did such a good job with that. And I also thought Eric Gordon, you know, he had to guard KD at times. He had to guard Book at times. And yeah, sometimes he got scored on, but a lot of times he held his own. And I talked about EJ. Which EJ are we going to get? Are we going to get the lazy one that's like acting like he doesn't give a shit? Or are we going to see him play like he did in that game against Phoenix last time right before we got Russ? And it was the latter. And not only that, he started out by giving us an offensive boost in the beginning of the game, EJ. Knocking down threes, but it all starts with guess who? Number two, Kawhi. Playoff Kawhi. We talked about it. 
all season long. I've been mad at him for a little bit some, and the way we treat him in terms of the medical staff, sometimes not closing games. But overall, Kawhi's been great this season, but he needs to be at even a level greater to win the championship, even maybe two levels greater to win without Paul George. He needs to attract two defenders. He needs to make shots. He did both of those things tonight. Starting out in the beginning of the game, when he gets within 15 feet, doesn't matter if Craig's in his face, turn around over the right shoulder, two dribble, pump fake. You don't bite, you're going to shoot the next one. I mean, those contests, it's like similar to Kobe in the sense that they don't seem like they're there. And the difference between Kobe, MJ, Jerry West, and Kawhi, always, I always, that may be my Mount Rushmore of mid-range. Sorry, KD. I'm only going with uh, guys that have uh, led their teams to chips. Although, in Jerry West's case, you can say that Wilt kind of led the team to the chip. But whatever. My point is this. I like those four. KD, you can obviously argue KD's in there, you know. But what I like about those four is, or the Jerry West, Jordan, and Kobe, they get a lot of elevation on their jumper. KD has the height. Kawhi, though, he has a high release point, but he doesn't seem like, like, he doesn't really get off the ground on his jumper like that. He's got dudes right in his face, and um, he hits it like it's no problem. DeMar DeRozan, by the way, I just got a comment, DeMar DeRozan, are you, please, when, whenever the playoffs comes around, he sees two defenders and he looks like he's seeing ghosts, so don't compare them, this is Mount Rushmore we're talking about here, we're talking about snipers, I mean, DeRozan's fantastic regular season, but he, I mean, the playoffs, it's all about mental too, he's fantastic though, I mean, you don't get me wrong, but I'm not putting him on that level, point is though, Kawhi, he hits shots when you might as well not even have a contest, he's so ridiculous, and he got off to a solid start, and the Clippers defensively were just on it. They were leading thirty to eighteen in after one. Russell Westbrook did not get off did not get off to the best start shooting the ball, and obviously had a terrible shooting night. But we started to see the second quarter, the reinforcements coming in, and you saw the difference in the Clippers bench versus Phoenix. I mean, everybody knows that the Clippers are insanely deep and the Suns, having made this trade, are not as deep. And obviously throughout the years, we always say, you know, depth doesn't matter as much as you think. Rotations shrink in the playoffs. And all that's true. I found that out the hard way 10 years ago against Memphis. But it still does matter, especially when you have a team with such little depth as Phoenix. And mind you, Campaign didn't play tonight. Campaign gives the Suns a lot of pace, and he caused us a lot of problems in the playoffs in 2021 in those first two games before Chris Paul came back, two games that they won. And so having him not play, especially when, you know, they're not really getting anything going, um, is, I'm sorry, you're not getting anything from the bench, is big. So Norman Powell came in, and one thing I really like to see about Norm, he was hitting his shots, like his jumper, I'm sorry. He's been playing really, really good, or really, really well lately, but the jumper, the three ball especially, has kind of lagged behind. We saw him kind of get that back in this one, which was really great. Um, not from three, actually, only one for four from deep, but he actually made one. And then five for ten overall, hit a couple of mid-ranges. He even hit a one contested, like, 18-footer late in the game. It was it was ridiculous. I was surprised he hit it. But Kawhi and Russ staggered most of the game. And you know what's funny about um, Ty Lue is he said that Marcus Morris, who was in uniform, by the way, would have a role in this series. But, you know, one thing I've noticed about Ty Lue the last couple of big games, the bluff guy. And he bluffed. He went with the nine-man rotation that we've seen recently. And so when Andrew Greif, for grief, still don't, know how to, still don't know how to pronounce his damn name. I don't know why no one's told me how. <laughs> 
But when he wrote that article a couple of months back about how Ty was starting to sh- wanted to shrink the rotation and kind of figure out who he wanted to go with in the playoffs, there were two big things that he said that you kind of had to attach to. Um, and that was that he wants a nine-man rotation and he was going to start doing it. And he showed us his cards, Clipper fans. It's the Bones Highland... Uh, I almost said Robert Covington. Bones Highland, Mason Plumley, Terrence Mann, and Norman Powell. That's the nine. That's the those are the four guys off the bench without Paul George. That's the nine. So we saw that in this one, and they did very well. Although the Suns, as the game went on, and by the way, KD was kept in check, man. And I thought, you know, the thing about he and Devin Booker is they're gonna take tough shots. Those mid-range shots for them, they're not that tough. But their shot diet is not the easiest. You know, they're not getting really easy looks at the rim. The mid-range mafia, they're gonna be living off those shots. And mid-range does win in the playoffs. Absolutely, I'm a big believer of that. You need the in-between game. You can't just have threes and layups. Houston Rockets are a prime example. Um, back in the day, but. You still want to generate some easy baskets. And the Suns don't do that too much. And as I said, look, Book and KD missed a lot of shots like in the first half that they normally make. You're just going to have to contest best you can and live with it. I know Zubats is going to do a good enough job in drop coverage. I know he's going to step up on the screens whatnot. But the thing is, what he hasn't had consistently all season is he hasn't had guys fighting over those screens. So he doesn't have to, you know, basically guard two players at once. And tonight, you saw players actually fighting for Zoo, fighting over screens, trying to, you know, be in the rearview contest and get back in front over screens. Makes Zoo's job easier. I thought Zoo was really solid as well. You know, finishing around the rim, I still think, I'm going to be literally saying this for years and years to come, it seems, but more Zoo post-touches would be nice. But again, when he got the ball in the post a couple of times, right-handed jump hook over Aiton, he can score too. Like, make Aiton guard. I think it was an interesting game because I feel like Aiton, we put him in the pick and roll a decent amount, but I don't think we like really got too great of looks or like abused him or anything like that. I think we were looking more to get smaller, smaller guys, certain wings and smaller guards switched on to Kawhi. And I also think that Torrey Craig had a really good game because they tried to put Zoo in the pick and roll with Craig, and Craig, instead of picking and popping for three, he was kind of picking and popping for a mid-range, and it seemed like he kind of had that shot down pat. Um, Made a couple of those. He was two for four from three and nine for 12 in the game. 22 points, so really good game from Torre Craig. And, but that's okay. We let the others beat us. That's a strategy I kept saying. As long as Devin Booker and Kevin Durant don't go ballistic, just let the others beat the Clippers. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know, as long as we also hit shots. And that's the craziest part about this game. We really didn't hit shots like that. You know, we were 10 for 31 from three, 32%, only 44% from the field. The Suns, though, they don't really shoot that many threes. So in terms of the math game, as they like to say, they don't really, um, you know, they're not strong in that department, really. Six for 19 from three. 47% from the field. They did get to the line 33 times. Clippers 29 times. I thought the refs were like a joke tonight, especially in the second half in favor of them. I know home-centric officiating, but Devin Booker, like, yeah, he, he played a really good defensive game, but he was getting away with murder some of those times. And then he complains under recall. And and Terrence Mann doesn't really get much respect from officials at all. Zubots gets none. We already know that. And then Bones Highland straight up got slapped in the face and didn't call shit. So... Fuck the, those refs. But Clippers are up by five at the end of the second, and I'm not going to lie, the Suns started to get going a little bit. 
uh, before the half ended. KD, Devin Booker starting to knock down some shots. And so I was feeling a little bit nervous going into the second half. And in the third quarter, the Sun starters made their push. KD started getting going a little bit more. Chris Paul, you know, made a nutmeg between the legs pass in between the legs of Zubots. Aiton started to hit a couple of push shots, mid-ranges on the pick and rolls. Devin Booker was starting to get going. I was starting to get a little nervous. Torrey Craig was hitting shots. We went down by six. They called a timeout. The Suns crowd got into it and obviously very loud. You know, Phoenix has been a really tough place to play lately the last couple of years since they've had this resurgence. But thought Ty Lue did a good job utilizing his timeouts. And we responded. There were stretches in that third quarter where we really weren't getting buckets. And Russ was just pretty awful offensively. He was missing shots. Every single shot he shot was short. Like every single one. And I don't, it's definitely not that he didn't have legs, I don't think, because he was running all over the place, working super hard, but he was just short on every shot. I don't know what to say. And look, in that stretch, when we needed a guy to get buckets, Kawhi Leonard was getting buckets. We started to see KD guard Kawhi more, and honestly, he did a better job than Craig. KD is such an underrated defender, but... As I always say, when Kawhi starts getting going and he's in that kind of mode, no matter who you have guarding him, he's a contested mid-range sniper. So he catches the ball at the elbow, coming off those pin downs, coming off those cross screens. They switch a certain guy on him. Don't matter if it's just anybody switched on him. He's rising over the top. He had a shot right over KD in that second half. He's knocking down shots, knocking down his three ball. Obviously, Kawhi has been lights out from deep lately. And three for five from deep in this game. Also got to the line, even though he should have gotten to, should have gotten to the line more. The refs again just bullshitting us in the second half. But that's the crazy part. We didn't even get the better whistle, and we still won. And we didn't shoot well from three suckers. But third quarter, Suns outscored the Clippers twenty-seven to twenty-two. And even though Kawhi was getting going, Russ started to do too much. That's my one thing with Russ. If you're not hitting shots. Okay, I understand keep shooting, but don't force it. He was starting to force it, and I was like, we don't need this. You know, we still have Kawhi out there who's having a good game. We still have Eric Gordon out there who's having a solid game. Now, Eric Gordon did start to cool down. It started to make me a little nervous. Guys, you know, Nico didn't really hit many threes. I'm... Yeah, he was 1 for 3 from deep. Terrence Mann was 0 for 3 from deep. As I said, Norman Powell 1 for 4 from deep. Bones Highland 1 for 3 from deep. So we got a lot of decent looks from 3, and it wasn't falling. And in in the fourth quarter, tied at 81, I was like, look, even though Russ didn't have a great quarter, he was making some plays, rebounding and all that, but the third quarter was his worst quarter, no doubt about it. Kawhi kind of carried us for those stretches. I was saying that at the end of the day, you go into the fourth quarter. If you had told me before the game, go into it, tied up, I would take that all day long. It's just a matter of getting the job done. And I looked at my dad and my uncle. I was watching the game with them tonight. And I said, I wasn't panicking when the Suns went up six because I said, look, Kevin Durant or Devin Booker, one of them's going out soon. And I was shocked when they took Three of I don't remember if it was in the first half or the second half, but they took three of the big four out at once. I said in the preview they got to take out only two at once, and it's a huge mistake just leaving Devin Booker in there with the rest of the shitty bench players that they have for NBA standards. Not shitty players, of course, but 
you know, they're trying to put Bones Holland in the pick and roll. And Bones was like, you're all sleeping, man. He got a nice steal with his hand in the passing lane, and then he got fucking slapped in the face and didn't call anything. And there was another time where he did a decent enough job. I forgot. I think he just was hedging, recovering, chasing down. Clippers were making good rotations, made them make multiple plays, and they didn't really score. So I thought Bones Highland did fine. He held his own and showed that he is not as ridiculous defensively, or ridiculous is not the right word, as much of a liability, I, people should say defensively, he wasn't one in this game, as people think. And by the way, I love him to death, but I have to say it again, I'm sorry, Reggie Jackson didn't even touch the floor against Timberwolves. So, we saw who won that trade. Um, and by the way, so I see the comments right now, guys, I really appreciate everybody in here, about to reach 100 people in here, um, and no, I have not talked about the other games yet, Kelvin Cabrera, so thank you. Um, I haven't, I will. But, Anyways, fourth quarter, Kawhi Leonard didn't come out of the game for more than like a minute. Like it was such a quick rest. So that showed you that Ty Lue wasn't fucking around. He was trying to get his guy right back in the game. I thought Norman Powell made a couple of big plays in that stretch, you know, getting to the basket a couple of times, getting to his right, that curl play. I thought the Suns did a better, a decent job against Norm. But listen, 15 points, 5 for 10 from the field, 14 points, 5 for 10 from the field. I'm taking that all day. You know, plus 11. He didn't turn the ball over either. And, yeah, you need double-figure scoring from Norm, at least, you know, bare minimum. I still think he needs to average around 18 to 20 to win the series. But um, 15, when, we, when other guys play well, 15 will do, 14 will do, whatever it was, 14. But Terrence, man, you know, I thought he also didn't have a very good game offensively. I thought he passed up two layups around the rim. Come on, Terrence, you're fantastic around the basket. You elevate, finish strong, go up strong. Don't be afraid. But defensively, great activity by Terrence. He was trying to, you know, get under the skin of Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Even KD guarded once or twice and did a decent job. So Terrence, man, from an effort standpoint, doing what you expect him to do, he did that. And playoff Terrence, I guarantee you, is going to have some big games this postseason, I promise. Um, and the Clippers closed with him as well. And we've complained all season Tyler needs to close with Terrence. He did in this one. 10 points, 4 boards, 2 assists, and a steal for T. The only thing I didn't like, 4 turnovers. And I think a couple of those was from being indecisive. 3 for 6 from the field for him. 50%. All, so all 3 of his 2s were made. Missed all 3 of his 3s. Good looks, by the way, except for one that was a step back, which was a, I think it was because nobody was really coming to the ball. 1, I'm sorry, 4 for 5 from the line for Terrence as well. So you'd love to see that. But Kawhi Leonard came back in and was making some big shots. I'm pretty sure he hit two threes in the fourth, had like 10. Or, I'm trying to think how many points he had in the fourth. At least 10. He double digits in the fourth and was the best player in the game. You know, I was watching the game, as I said, with my uncle and my dad, and I looked at them and said, Kawhi Leonard, I said before the series, he's got to be the best player for the Clippers to win. And he was the best player in this game. KD, you know, he had like a corner three late in the fourth quarter, and I was thinking like, this guy, has he shot? Like, what's he doing? Like, I want to see how many shots KD took in the fourth. <laughs> classic, man. It's classic with KD. Sometimes he just lets the game come to him too much. Sometimes you just got to take the game out of the scruff of the neck. Oh, actually, he did shoot in the fourth quarter a decent amount. Five shots. Five shots in the fourth. Not bad, not bad. Um, No shots, though, in the third. That's weird. So, it's Kevin Durant should never go a whole quarter without shooting. Um, But we'll take it, right? We'll take it. If he wants to, you know, I think the biggest problem is Kevin Durant just got here. 
They haven't, as I said, they haven't been tested. They haven't actually played real teams yet. So they don't know what these kind of situations are like. And, you know, it's kind of like, who do you give the ball to in the end of the game, right? KD's the better player, but it's Book's team. It's Book's team. You know what I'm saying? He's the franchise player. He's the guy that's been there since he was drafted. So it seems like, for example, on that last play, when the Clippers were up by three, they went to Book. I would go to KD for the three ball. I mean, they went for the quick two, but the fact that they got didn't even get, you know, the shot at the rim and they went for the quick two, that makes you I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, but you obviously would have wished to get the ball to Kevin Durant there to um shoot a three over the top. You know? But Devin Booker, still his team. And I think KD defers. I will say this about KD though, he did a pretty good job denying the ball against Kawhi. Well, a couple of times he got switched on to him, he did a really good job denying. Um and yeah, fourth quarter, I was very nervous about putting Russ back into the game. So the bench, they restored order. I also thought Mason Plumley really decent stretch in the game. Rebounding, finishing around the basket, some decent moments for him. But I was nervous about Russ coming back in the game. I just, you know, I was starting to see everybody talking about his inefficiency, his lack of shooting, and I was really nervous about him closing, man. Very nervous, but Tyloo brought him back in the game. And he was making huge defensive plays, just knocking the ball out of bounds, grabbing rebounds. It was just unbelievable. Every loose ball seemed like Russell Westbrook was getting it. And that's what he's all about, right? That's what he's kind of made his reputation on over the years is just playing hard. Just playing hard, playing with playing with heart, playing with passion, with emotion. And shout out to my Super Chats, man. Says, do you think KD's going to have to go Kawhi mode if his counterparts don't do more? No. I don't think he's going to have to go Kawhi mode. Um, I think he 20 shots is not going Kawhi mode for me. I think he just needs to be a little more aggressive. But anyways, Kawhi was a beast in the fourth quarter. It's coming down to the wire. And a guy who wasn't hitting his three ball in the second half and then made a huge left wing three... EJ for three, bingo! How about that? When he made that shot, I thought we had it right there. I really thought we had it. And it came after Russell Westbrook making big play after big play on defense, rebounding, forcing turnovers. And the last minute and a half or so, when the Suns made the three, actually no, I think it was five straight points, made it a one-point game, 109-108. to this is when it got fun. Russell Westbrook got two offensive rebounds on the same possession. You cannot ask for more. When they're going to sag off like that, you got to take advantage in some way, especially if you can't shoot. And Russ was not hitting anything. He got two offensive rebounds, and then he shot a three. I did not like it, but he shot it. And then Terrence Mann and Kawhi were fighting for the rebound. Forced, I think it was Kawhi that knocked it off Torrey Craig's foot, and we got the ball back. And then Russ tries to go at Booker, clear-cut foul, and then he goes to the foul line. And a guy who's not a great free-throw shooter, all the pressure in the world, knocks them both down when it counts. And, man, I'm going to say this. It felt pretty good to be on the side of unexpected two or unexpected clutch free-throws by Westbrook against Chris Paul 
Because in game five in 2014, Russ made all three free throws on that bullshit three, and they won the game. But this time, it was the team with Russell Westbrook on it again that won the game, and that would be the Clippers. How about that block at the end? Booker going for a quick two. Russ blocked him and knocked it off, and it went off his and not, threw it off his leg. I mean, it was just amazing. So, Russell Goatbrook! Yes, sir! Talk to him, son! I'm, I'm, I'm in awe, guys. I, I, that's it for the analysis. Like, I'm in fucking awe. We really did that, man. We really did that. Went in there, played the best we could in terms of just what you can control. You know, the shots weren't all going in, but that's what you can control. The effort, the fight, the attention to detail. We did all that. And Russell Westbrook, I mean, people have been saying, look, I'm a historian for sure, but I haven't, like, seen everything. You know what I'm saying? But... That's that definitely got to be one of the best three for 19 games in the history of basketball. I mean, you just a game you just have to watch to figure out with Russ. Uh, just to watch to figure out his impact. What a win. What a performance defensively by the guys. The strategies all worked by Ty Lue, you know, Zoo guarding Craig. Even though KD and Chris Paul, they got double-digit assists each, assists each with those pocket passes. Fine, let them hit. You know, Aiden started making some shots at the end. Okay. Whatever. You know, as long as Katie and Booker don't get crazy, we're fine. And I don't know. They may have to start hard doubling Kawhi because at this point, like I said before the game, don't double him at all. Just let him go one-on-one over and over. But I don't know. That may not be a great strategy either. You might have to consider just trapping him hard and making the other guys just shoot threes and beat him. Beat us. Trapping him hard and making others beat them. But anyway, let's read the stat lines tonight, man. Clippers lead the series 1-0. 115-110, to 110, stealing home court advantage in Phoenix. This is the first time we played Phoenix in, out of the three times we played them in the playoffs, and we won game one. So that's big time. And the Clippers, I mean, when we win game one, we usually win the series. I mean, 2006 we won game one, won the series. 2012 we won game one, we won the series. 2013 we won game one, and we didn't win the series. 2015 we won game one. And we won the series. Against the Thunder, we won game one. We didn't win the series. And 2016, we won game one, but we didn't win the series. Twenty twenty in the bubble, we won game one. And we won the series. But anyway, big win. 115-110. to 110. It's a long series, though. I said Clippers in seven before the series. I'm going to stick with that pick. Um, Clippers in six, though. Why not, right? Might as well, I'm going to start pushing that agenda because now we just got to win home, at home. But we haven't been a great home team all year, and we always, we never seem to defend home court fully. We've never done that in any series that I've watched, except for the 2006 against Denver. We never seem to defend home court. So, um, you know, I'll be at game three. I won't be at game four, which sucks. But all the other Clipper fans, man, like, let's get that shit popping and rocking like, 2015 against the Spurs, like 2012 against Memphis, like game six against Utah. For all three games, man, they're going to need everything they can get from the crowd. And all we got to do is just be loud and hostile. And hopefully that'll help the team get three wins. And three wins, we win the series. Bye, KD. Bye, CP3. Bye, Book. Easier said than done. At this point, man, like the Suns. So let's read the lines, right? And then I'll get into the final words before we move on because we already got seven other games to talk about. And some of them is, some of them are like blowouts, so I'm going to get through the... There's a clear four series that are really good. There's a clear other four series that are not so great, but one of them got a little bit more entertaining tonight. 
Guys, I'll talk about that in a sec. But let's read the lines for the Suns. They played 11 guys. And some of them, five of them only played, sorry, did they go 12 deep? Yeah, they went 12 deep. I'm sorry, no, it is 11. I'm asleep. It is 11. And five of them played less than 10 minutes. The only bench player that played more than 10 minutes was Landry Shamit. You know, here's something about Landry Shamit, right? He used to be Landry Shamwet because his jumper used to be absolutely wet. And he used to be Landry with a capital L-A because obviously he was a clipper. You know, back in the day, we used to have Shamit for three. Bingo. You know, that was my old intro. This one. Ah. <laughs> but now he's Landry Shambroke. And he didn't really do much, did he? You know, what is he? Two for five, four points. over for one from deep. Terrence Ross played four minutes, over for one. Jock Landale, finally Jock Landale in the playoffs, not actually killing us, you know. All season long, we played him. He had some good games against us, but in the playoffs, different different level. And, and they randomly threw him in in the second half. Wide open mid-range, we were leaving him open for, and he was bricking, you know. two for five, uh, One for three for Jock. Okogie only played seven minutes, which I was pretty surprised about considering the way he ended the regular season. 0 for 1. Bismack Biombo, 0 for 0. Zero, you know, he didn't even get a shot off. Two points. Five minutes played. Ish Wainwright. They tried to go small for a second, you know, like five out. Didn't really work. They had Ish Wainwright at the five. He had a donut. And then the starters. Torrey Craig, 22 points on nine for 12 in the field. That's 75%. It's really good. Two for four from deep and two for three from the line. So as far as Torrey Craig, he did his job. And then the big four, Chris Paul, our good old friend. Seven points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Funneled him to his left all night. And he's going to have to be better than seven points. He's going to have to make that mid-range. Defensively, we tried to put him in the action a little bit. And it worked decently. We got Russ in that short roll a lot. A lot of times they were hedging and recovering. And Russ found Nico Batum and various guys for open threes. They weren't really hitting. But CP3 wasn't really attacked on defense like that much in this game. I think that's something we're going to see more of as the series goes on. But... You're going to need more from Chris Paul if you're Phoenix. I mean, you're going to need him to score at like 13, 14 points. Two for eight is not going to cut it. Um, and also, as I said, like, look, his three-point percentage is, is efficient, right? One for two. But remember what I said about loading up off of KD for one pass away? Load up, make KD pass, and then close out hard on Chris to run him off the line. A lot of times, because he, he has a slow release. If it's not a wide-open, clear-cut look off the catch, he won't shoot it most more often than not. So... And oftentimes, he doesn't try to drive by anybody. He wants to, like, lull it and, you know, get a screen. Like, he slows the pace down, Chris Paul. We know this, you know, in this stage of his career. So, not much there. As far as Aiton, 18 points, 8 rebounds. Look, with Aiton, like, they just use him like a role player, you know. And he acts like a role player, too. I think it goes both ways. But they don't really feed him. They don't get him involved. It's just pick and roll. And then minutes will go by without him getting a shot, really. So, you know, look to see if Kawhi guards Aiton again in game two. Try to take away, you know, limit their looks on pick and rolls. Try to switch that a little bit more. But if I'm them in that situation, I just go to the Chris Paul Aiton pick and roll to see if we'll switch Russ onto Aiton. But Zoo, um, I'm sorry. I thought Zoo was guarding Aiton for a sec there. But, and then Booker and Kevin Durant. I mean, they combined for 53 points. Book had 26, four steals and three blocks, by the way. So, 
I mean, defensively, he was active, did his job. So for everybody that says Devin Booker doesn't play any defense, I mean, that narrative was over in 2019, 2020. No, 2019, because the year with Monty, I always say, is when I noticed the change. But he also turned the ball over five times, and the Suns only turned the ball over ten times. So half the turnovers came from Book. So if you're a Suns fan, I don't really have – I think I have many. Um, let me know what you think about the way he played overall. Ten for 19 from the field for Book, but he was 0 for 3 from deep, and there were just a couple times in the game. Also, 6 for 8 from the foul line is really rare. I just think there were a couple times in the game where Book missed a lot of shots that he normally makes. And also, I mean, he doesn't generate easy shots. They're all just very hard, contested mid-ranges, off the bounce, you know, on a dime. And I think we did a pretty good job just trying to make things tough for him. So I think you're still going to need a little bit more from Book. KD, I mean, 27 points, 9 rebounds, 11 assists, a steal and 2 blocks. That defensively was really good. I thought that he did a good job of finding guys for open shots, but he's going to need to be much more aggressive than 15 shots. And I thought Kawhi, you know, when he was guarding him, he's showing uh, his defensive chops a little bit. Look to see that going forward in fourth quarters. Kawhi guarding KD because, man, it's dope to see those guys facing off in a playoff series and they're both this good. But the battle, number one, goes to Kawhi Leonard. He did a pretty good job defensively when he did guard KD for those few possessions. As far as the Clippers bench, nine deep. Bones Highland played the least, 13 minutes. Thought he was really solid, though, overall. He didn't shoot well. He was one for six, but, you know, he was decent. He did. He showed that he's not just going to get played off the floor like, like that. And the fact that he was one for six and one for three from deep tells me that he's going to uh, shoot better in one of the upcoming games, whether it's next game or the game after. I think we're going to have at least one Bones explosion game. Only three points for Bones. Looks like he had a bad game, but I actually thought he was decent because defensively he held his own, and he was a plus 13 in the game. Mason Plumley, 18 minutes played. Thought he was really good in his minutes. First game for Plumley, solid. Didn't get abused much defensively like that. And part of it's because the Suns don't really have quick guards and they don't have much athleticism. It feels like the Clippers between Ross, Terrence Mann, Norman Powell are the more athletic team, which is crazy to think about because that's been our weakness. So when people say that the Clippers are a good matchup for Phoenix, those are the kind of things that they're talking about. So Mason Plumley, 7 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists on 3 for 3 shooting. He was awesome in 18 minutes. Terrence Mann, 10 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists on 3 for 6 shooting. 0 for 3 from 3. I already said that. And then Norman Powell, I already said 14 points on 5 for 10 shooting. As for the starters, Nicholas Batum only played 21 minutes. 3 points, 1 for 3 from deep. I thought he was good defensively when he was in. Obviously, as I always say, one of the best shot contesters uh, as I've seen as a clipper. And he... Did okay in his job. You know, he 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 played defense. That's what you want from Nico. I was getting nervous with Russ in the game at the end. I thought Nico should have maybe come back in, but Tyloo knew what he was doing tonight. Zubots, 12 points, 15 rebounds. Thought he was awesome. Just as good as Aiton, really. I thought he deterred more shots at the rim than Aiton. And overall, solid performance by him. 30 minutes of play, 5 for 8 from the field. Zoo's been fantastic all year, as I always say. Give him the ball more. And then Eric Gordon. 19 points, 7 for 14 from the field, so 50%. 3 for 7 from deep and 2 for 2 from the line. EJ gave you just about everything you could ask for in this game. Played good defense, guarded the best players in the world, two of the best with Booker and Kevin Durant. Made a big three. And by the way, this is a huge deal for EJ. You know, This is his first playoff game as a Clipper. This is his second time here, but this is his first playoff game as a Clipper, so... Let me see some let me see some clapping emojis in the chat for uh, EJ, please. And then the two main men, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he found a way to close this game. He made big plays. 
It was, a, it was a quieter defensive game for him, but he led the way offensively. He was the best player on the court. And so far, as I said, he's the best player on the court. Clippers going to have a great chance of winning. And he was for game one. 38 points, five rebounds, five assists, a steal and a block on 13 for 24 shooting, three for five from deep, nine for 10 from the line. The degree of difficulty of his shots, I want to say on a trillion, but they're not that tough for him. 42 minutes played, which was more than any player on the Clippers. Devin Booker played 43 minutes, by the way, and Kevin Durant played 45. Kevin Durant played 45 minutes, and they still lost. I mean, come on, man. Kawhi was the player of the game for me because at the end of the day, as great as Russ was, he still had bad moments. Kawhi really didn't have any bad moments. He was insane. Playoff Kawhi's back, y'all. Phoenix, you guys, like, you dodged a bullet in 2021. You dodged a fucking bullet. And Russell Goatbrook. Russell Goatbrook. Nine points, 11 rebounds, five of those being offensive rebounds, eight assists. And that doesn't, you know, one, one stat that is not a thing is how many times you go for a rebound and you either draw a loose ball foul or the ball goes out of bounds off somebody because they couldn't grab the ball since you were also going for it. That is what you don't get anything in the stat sheet for. I love that. You know, you got to watch the games and Russ makes those kind of plays. And, I mean, come on. Nine points, 11 rebounds, eight assists, two steals, and three blocks for Russ. Only two turnovers. So, to keep those low was huge. Three for 19 from the field, one for six from deep, two for three from the line. And I'm going to address a comment. Uh, Russ was three fucking three for 19. I don't give a fuck because he played defense. Y'all people love efficiency so much. This is why I say I don't give a shit. Like, I really don't care. You know what stat I care about? The win. And you're telling me we win with that game without Russ? Okay, fine. We, I don't believe you. Because then who's guarding KD besides who, you know, Nico and Eric? Terrence and, you know, the, are we having Kawhi guard him more? Getting exhausted? Are we having Bone? Uh, I don't know if Terrence Mann would do as good of a job. Russ knows KD. So, you know, the amount of shots that KD wasn't taking, that matters too. So I don't care about efficiency. Obviously, yes, you'd want it to be more efficient. It's mainly the shots that he was taking, not the shots that he was missing. The shots, some shots he just shouldn't be taking. But the efficiency stuff, like when you're doing that many other things, I, I could care less about that, you know. If, if, if you lose the game, it's different. But he had to, you, to win a game, you have to make certain plays if you're on the court. You have to make certain plays. He won us the game at the end. So say what you want. one nothing. The team with Russell Westbrook won. KD, sit down, Sonny, for now. But he's going to come back strong. I mean, I'd be shocked if the Clippers won game two. The Suns are going to come out. They may kick our ass. But I hope, that's my, that's my hope is that we don't get our ass kicked. Because if we get our ass kicked, that's great confidence for the Suns. And, you know, this is the main thing, overall takeaway. Huge win. Now the ball's in the Clippers' court in terms of home court advantage. Um, we did what we needed to. And, I mean, we have a great chance to win this series because their bench is terrible. And they're new. They're not battle-tested together. It's exactly what I said in my video. They didn't know it. Like, they they haven't been in these kind of situations much. Eight games. KD. And, by the way, KD, I, I've been saying this, that KD is amazing. He's a beast, one of the best to ever do it. But he's not as good as all you guys, some people really think he is because he's not assertive enough. That's my problem with him. He doesn't 
grab the game by the scruff of the neck. He just lets it come to him, plays in the flow, just hoops. No, man. Like, no. But Hokey's not on my team. I got Kawhi, and sometimes he knows how to take over games. And I know Katie's one of the best playoff performers ever, but Kawhi Leonard is as well. So 8-0 with KD. Make that 8-1. and And by the way, for all of those people on my Locked On comments and all the comments saying Suns in 5, Suns in 5 now, you still going with that? Suns in 5, Suns in 5, Suns in 5. Say it with me. Hell no. Clips in 6, Clips in 6, Clips in 6. Come on, everybody. Let me see. Here. Let me get some Clips in 6 in the chat. But a huge win. We'll take that, baby. And now, you know, before we go to the Laker game, I'm going to skim through some games because there was some just not much to say. Um, let's start with Denver against the Timberwolves. I thought the Nuggets came out and gave the exact type of performance that shows we're here, we are about to kick your ass, and we're the number one seed for a reason. And they were the only Western Conference team that came out and, like, smacked the shit out of somebody. Um, Jokic was a beast. He was creating a ton of good shots for everybody. I thought that, um, Jamal Murray... And Michael Porter Jr. started out a little slow shooting the ball, but they started to get going. Thought Bruce Brown played really well. And the Timberwolves, you know, Ants, I mean, I don't know. Does he have a shoulder problem? Like, Anthony Edwards is he's just settling way too much. Towns was awful. I mean, just playing dumb basketball per usual. Gobert had some decent defensive moments, but, I mean, jeez. They just It was just a bad game all the way around for Minnesota. Gobert, 8 points, 13 boards, 3 of 5 shooting. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say there. Towns was 5 for 15. 11 points, 10 boards. He was pretty bad. Anthony Edwards was 6 for 15 from the field, 18 points. The Nuggets won 109 to 80. Uh, they were up only 3 after the first quarter. That was the only quarter where it looked like the Wolves were in the game. Nuggets outscored them by 8, 29-21 in the second. And in the third quarter, they blew the doors open, 32-14. Jamal Murray really started getting going in the second half. Um, as far as Bruce Brown, I mentioned him earlier. He played 25 minutes. He had 14 points on 5-for-8 shooting and also 2-for-4 from deep. So really good game for Bruce Brown. DeAndre Jordan was actually getting regular rotation minutes in this game. By the way, Reggie Jackson did play 4 minutes for the Nuggets, but they were all in garbage time. Um, DeAndre played 6 minutes. So funny that he's actually getting real minutes in an NBA game. I don't know how effective that's going to be going forward. But by the way, um, my boy Ernie in the chat, Clips in 6, he says, right now wearing the Jamal Crawford Ernie shirt. If you want to go get that one and, oh my God, hold on one second. And this shirt, a shirt with my face on it that Ernie made, thankfully. This doesn't fit me, so if you want it, DM me. See if we can find a nice price for you. But, boom. The dime shirt. The dime shirt. Available on laclipset.com. Designed in Los Angeles, people. Designed in Los Angeles. You already know how it is. I'm going to put the link to his website right here. Or the actual website. There you go. Anyways, let's get back to it. The Nuggets, the starters. Um, by the way, last bench player I want to talk about real quick, Christian Brown, a really good defender, man, from Kansas last year. He, he's a good defender, especially for a white dude. Starting lineup, 
Caldwell Pope, really solid game. He's obviously had such a great season, KCP. 15 points on 6 for 11, shooting and 3 for 6 from deep. Uh, Aaron Gordon, solid game, both ends of the floor, 13 and 5. That's 5 rebounds, of course. 3 for 7 from the field and 2 for 4 from deep. Michael Porter Jr., 18 and 11, 11 rebounds. 7 for 17 from the field, but 4 for 9 from 3. And then Jamal Murray was the leading scorer for the Nuggets. 24 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists. Only one turnover. 9 for 22 from the field. 4 for 10 from deep. He brought it. And then Jokic, 13 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists. 6 for 12 from the field. And you know what's funny is those numbers will probably hurt his series stats. But it doesn't matter because he only had to play 28 minutes and they won by 29. He was absolutely dominant creating all sorts of shots. So step one in the journey for the Nuggets to potentially win their first ever championship is complete. One down, 15 to go. My man Zach May says, what's up, man? Murray balled out second half. Shout out to my boy Zach. Oh, man, his brother was giving me the business this weekend in the game I coached. Um, Tried to throw the kitchen sink at him, but uh, it's very tough. It's very tough. Um, I forgot to talk to you about something else as well, so... Remind me, remind, remind me to message you after the game. Um, after I'm a lot, after I'm done being live, I'm sorry. But let's so step one for the Nuggets, good to go. Um, let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. I thought that was an interesting game yesterday. Um, the, by the way, ch- again, check out my previews. I talked in depth about some of the games. I'm sorry, in te- about, I talked in depth about every series. And Caleb from Brooklyn Netcast and Chris from Hoop Spaces came on and they talked to me. And Caleb said that they were going to double Embiid on base, like they're going to swarm him a lot with Claxton as the help defender, not just with Claxton as primary defender. And so what the Nets were doing was they were switching one through five. They had a starting lineup of everybody six five or over. You had Dinwiddie, Finney Smith, um, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. And Claxton, you're going to switch everything and then double and beat on every touch. Now, JJ, baby, <laughs> JJ, there's a lot of people in this in this live right now, so I'm not going to give my, my nickname. But JJ loves to say, like, he just loves to try to, I don't know, make it seem like the past was Stone Age playbooks and shit. And Dwight, he saw, he, I remember one time I was listening to him talk to Elton Brand, um, and he said that Dwight Howard used to get hard doubles and Joel Embiid doesn't get, you know, he gets doubled in more creative ways. But when Embiid catches the ball that deep and Embiid has become this much of a scorer, now they're not wasting any time. You don't even want him doing anything because that's the type of fear that certain guys put into you. The reason why Dwight Howard was getting hard doubled is because Dwight Howard was catching the ball right on the block. So one shoulder into you and he was at the rim. Embiid, he catches the ball high so teams can shade and load up. So that creative ways is just because Embiid plays like a, a guard sometimes. But in this game, they were doubling, and Embiid was making the right play. He was finding guys, and James Harden, he started out really slowly getting blocked at the rim. Like four, The first four times he went to the basket, it seemed like he got blocked. And everybody was like, you know, some people are so reactionary in terms of like in the middle of a game. Like they'll start talking about a guy's performance. As if the game doesn't have two or three more quarters left. James Harden, he still was playmaking really well. And as the end of the first half, uh, as the as the end of the first half was coming up, he started hitting those step back threes. He hit like three or four of them at the end in the second quarter. That's his signature, going to his right, stepping back. And as far as the net side, they were staying within like nine points the whole game until the fourth quarter. They were right in that single digit range. 
And the reason mainly, Mikael Bridges. My God, he was putting on a clinic in the in-between game, especially in the first half. He was just ridiculous. Getting to his left, hitting the mid-range, even going to his right, hitting floaters, hit a one-legged like fade in his in the corner. Like he was, I mean, it's in, it's incredible what he's been doing since becoming a net, and he is absolutely poised for a second half. Uh, I'm sorry, an All-Star appearance next year, but. The Sixers started throwing two at him on screens. And, you know, Embiid was hedging. I'm sorry, not hedging the screens. He was dropping on the screens. I think Embiid's done a good job and drop covered all year. Uh, it's just a matter of what kind of point of attack defense the Sixers are bringing. Um, you know, they started Maxi in this game, not Melton. So it was Maxi, Harden, Tobias, P.J. Tucker, and Embiid. And obviously, P.J. Tucker has had a lot of criticism this season of, you know, not being an offensive threat. But... He was able to get offensive rebounds, make hustle plays, you know, take a couple of charges. He was two for five from deep in this game. So you'll take that all day, you know, 6.7 rebounds, five steals. So in the playoffs, P.J. Tucker, you know, he's a guy that has helped every team he's been on. And, you know, whether it be Houston, Milwaukee, Miami last year, he's just a gritty guy. You know, you you wanted to make that corner three. If he can make 40% of them, you'll take that all day long. And James Harden, Tobias Harris, Maxi, like all these guys were doing a great job making the extra pass, swinging the ball. And the, the Sixers were just really hot from deep. It was actually a franchise record in threes that they made. And like as much as the Nets were trying, you know, it was just a difference in quality. The, the Sixers were up five after one, and then they were up nine at halftime, then 12 after three, and then they just slowly kind of cruised away. And Embiid, you know, this is how great Embiid is. He was getting doubled every single time he touched the ball, and he still found a way to score 26 points. So, like, whether it be in transition or a situation where they're not doubling fast enough, trying to go away from it, you know, he was doing a good job of trying to make sure his shots get up there. You know, he gets his shots up there, I should say. 7 for 15 from the field. He also still got to the line 11 times, and he made all of his free throws. So Embiid, you know, at his size to shoot that well from the line is just an amazing luxury and just an amazing skill of his. 26 points for Embiid in his first uh, game of this year's playoffs. Fantastic. 7 for 15 from the field. They did not have a repeat of what happened four years ago against the Nets in game one. So for the second straight year, actually, no, the third straight year, the Sixers win the first game at home. They set a franchise record for threes in a playoff game for themselves. Yeah, franchise record. I already said that. I'm, I'm making some brain fart statements tonight. But, I, man, when you talk for an hour straight, I mean, that happens. But Sixers win by 20, 121 to 101, taking care of business, looking like a championship contender, absolutely. But it's so early, and they're playing against the Nets, who were slightly under 500 since they made the trade. So they're not going to be tested in this series. Their true test is going to come against the Celtics, of course. Um, somebody else who I thought had a pretty solid game was Tobias Harris. I thought that he competed hard on both ends of the floor. He was hitting his mid-range. He was 3-for-3 three three from deep. And he was doing a good job just hitting shots. Mid, you know, Jalen McDaniels as well. Good defense. 2-for-2 two two from the field. Fighting over screens well. George Niang. 2-for-4 from three. And somebody who was fantastic. I'm so happy I didn't forget about him. Paul Reed. When he came in for Embiid, they would switch everything. And they did a good job, man. Paul Reed also was finishing on the roll. And I remember the crowd chanting, we love Paul. We love Paul. So he made a big impact. And he's keeping Montrez Harrell on the bench for them. So step one, the Sixers take care of business. 
Spencer Dinwiddie, 14 points on 5 for 12 shooting, 1 for 5 from deep, though. Mikhail Bridges, 30 points, 5 rebounds, only 2 shot attempts, though, in the second half. I think the Sixers did a much better job of, like, trapping and blitzing him on screen and roll. But at the same time, if you're Mikhail Bridges, you've got to get more shots up than 2. You're a star now. That's what you should think. you got to get more shots up than 2. You may have to force it a little bit. Cam Johnson had a good shooting night. 7 for 11 for the field for him. 18 points. The Nets actually shot 56% and 45% for three, which is the craziest part, and they still lost. But that's because they turned the ball over 19 times, and the Sixers did such an amazing job of taking advantage of those. They also out-rebounded them 14 to 5 on the offensive glass. So the Sixers just showed their size, their tenacity. I thought they came out with the right attitude, right mentality. James Harden, I thought, was so, so solid. And you know me. I'm not a James Harden guy. 23 points and 13 dimes. On 8-for-21 shooting, but an amazing 7-for-13 from 3. So, he was sharp. Step 1, complete for Embiid and Jokic. Yes, Embiid and Jokic, but Embiid and Harden on their championship quest. And then, the Celtics against the Hawks. This was absolute, utter domination. I mean, Hawks fan TV, bless his heart. Trying to be optimistic and rolling with his Hawks in 7, but... Jalen Brown, I knew what kind of time he was on. When he came out on the first play, got a steal, turned, you know, spun and finished at the rim. He and Jason Tatum set the tone right from the get-go. Tatum got to the basket a couple times and hit this couple of threes in the first half. And Derek White started in this one alongside Marcus Smart, the Jays, and Al Horford. And the Celtics, you know, it took them a couple of minutes but they slowly started to create separation, and Trey Young was just having a tough time. The Hawks trailed by 10 after 1. Derek White, just like Kiana in the preview predicted, said that Derek White would be stay, uh, guarding him, not Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was actually guarding DeAndre Hunter. DeJounte Murray was being guarded by, I believe, if I recall correctly, Jalen Brown. And the Celtics showed why they're a championship favorite. In my opinion, of all the teams that played in the game once, the Celtics were the most impressive because they just have so many good players, so many good defensive players. They have rim protection. They have guards that can defend. They have wings. I mean, this is exactly why I have had them to win the championship all year. And Milwaukee, you know, given this, and I'm going to talk to them about them later, given their injury with Giannis tonight and Chris Middleton's health that's looked shaky, albeit he had a great game tonight, the Celtics just look more complete to me. It's just a matter of if they can make, especially Jason Tatum, make those big plays in the highest levels in the finals and all that. You know, when they, you know, the deeper they go, they're going to be tested in the next round against Philly. That's going to be an interesting series for sure. But I still think they'll win that. But the Celtics, I mean, when they start hitting threes like that, it's finished. I mean, when they start hitting threes along with the defense they play and the amount of talent they have, then you're going to have a tough time. Their bench players didn't hit any threes. They were 0 for 5 combined. But the starters, 13 for 28 from deep. They shot 39% as a team from there, 48 from the field. And their defense was just amazing on Trey Young. I thought, you know, Al Horford's going to be in that drop coverage. And the guards do such a good job getting over screens, whether it be Marcus Smart or Derek White. I could see what Keanu was talking about with the Derek White defensive uh, first team stuff because he was just doing an amazing job fighting over screens, getting his hands active. And... I mean, I've never seen this Derek White. This is crazy, the defensive confidence he's playing with. Blocking shots. Like, he thinks he's a stopper now. Maybe he is. And Marcus Smart, by the way, looked every bit of that defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, that we're accustomed to seeing. He was blocking shots, causing turnovers, taking hits to the chest and contesting, you know, 
just an overall comprehensive performance by Boston, hitting threes, moving the ball well, and then you know you got guys like Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. He was one for six in the game, which is crazy. That was a baseline shot he made, but he still makes plays. I don't know what it is about him. He just he's just a smart player. And the Time Lord, I thought he gave them some really great minutes too. Twelve points and eight rebounds. A steal and a block, and he was a perfect six for six from the field in 22 minutes. But the starters were just awesome. Al Horford, six points, nine rebounds on two for four shooting. All his shots were threes, and he made them. He still looks amazing, Al Horford. He's such a high IQ player. And I'm telling you this right now, maybe a hot take, but if Al Horford and the Celtics win a championship, he might be a Hall of Fame candidate because he won two championships with Florida. And, you know, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, not just the NBA Hall of Fame. And he was a great hawk. He's won wherever he's gone. And if he's a key part of a championship team, even playing this well at that age, I, I just think there's a case. But Derek White, 24 points. Yeah, I forgot to mention how great he was offensively, too. 24 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 blocks. He's just phenomenal in all facets. 7 for 13 from the field, 4 for 7 from deep, 6 for 7 from the line. Just giving you everything. Marcus Smart, while his shooting wasn't great, 4 for 11 from the field, but he was 2 for 4 from deep. He had 11 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. So, all around, really good defensive performance by Marcus. And then the Jays. Jason Tatum, 25 points and 11 rebounds on 10 for 23 shooting and 3 for 7 from deep in 40 minutes. I thought, you know, the Hawks actually made a little fake run at the end. I want to I want to give Bojan Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich a shout-out. Made a little fake run, but DeJounte Murray was the only player on the Hawks that scored over 20 points. He had 24, but he was also just missing a ton as well. You know, he shot 10 for 25, so 40%. And, I mean, 17% from deep for Atlanta, 5 for 29. Clint Capella, I, and it said he had 12 points and 8 rebounds. He had such a quiet game to me on both ends of the floor. Trey Young was just awful. 16 points, 8 assists, 5 for 18 from the field, 5 turnovers. So, looked exactly like Miami, but it was a slightly different strategy. He was just, um, you know, because the, the Heat played differently against them last year. They would switch everything and then load up. The Celtics were playing drop coverage and just doing a really great job fighting over screens and just getting in his rear view. He's going to have a better game in game two, I can assure you of that. But he played amazing against Miami, didn't play in the play-in game, but didn't play well against Boston in the first game. And they're going to need a great Trey Young for four games to win the series. And they're not going to win the series. They'll be lucky to win a game. Um, the Celtics are just too good. You know, <laughs> they're just too good. And the, and the Hawks, in this game, you could kind of see their defense not that great, even though they only allowed 38 points in the second half. But the part, the only reason that happened was because the Celtics just completely took their foot off the gas, and then they had to bring the starters back in because, as I said, the Hawks made a little fake run, led by Bogdan Bogdanovich, who had nine points, but he was three for 10. It's a game you got to just forget about if you're Atlanta. But Jason Tatum, as I said, 25 and 11, and my player of the game was Jalen Brown. So aggressive. 29 points, 12 rebounds, and the one thing I'm watching with JB in this playoffs is everybody was making jokes last year that he couldn't dribble. Like, obviously exaggerating, but he was losing his handle a lot and, you know, wasn't able to create all that much separation as, the you know, we got further and further into the playoffs. And that being said, he still had the best series of any Celtic in the finals. 
but he looked sharp with his handle in this game. Getting into his pull-up mid-range, getting to the basket. thought the Celtics were doing a good job attacking closeouts. Just overall great performance. They win it 112-99 and complete the first objective of their championship quest. Now, I've been making you guys wait long enough. we got to talk about the Lakers. But before we do that, before that, never mind. We're going to talk about the Lakers now. So the Lakers going into Memphis. I mean, it's a weird series because the Lakers are being picked by, it seems like most people, obviously my subscribers, but most people because the, the Grizzlies don't have Steven Adams or Brandon Clark. And you know DB is going to be guarding LeBron. Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson were both taking their swings at AD. A lot of times Xavier Tillman was guarding him, and you'd have Jaron Jackson sagging off of Vando. And I thought Vando did a pretty good job of, you know, being in that dunker spot, being available for those passes underneath the rim to get easy baskets. And the Lakers, they started out well in the first quarter, and it was immediately the presence of Anthony Davis. He had his fingerprints all over this game. It's going to be really fascinating to watch the battle between AD and Jaron Jackson Jr. throughout this series. Just two of the best defenders we have in the league right now. And AD, like, this is why I don't think this is a good matchup for Memphis. Because John Morant, yeah, he still had some decent moments today in the in-between game. You know, knocking down a mid-range or two, floaters. He even hit, I think, one three in the game. Let's see. Two for three. Two for three from deep. So, yeah, I mean, he shot really well. Eight for 14. But overall, I mean, most of John Morant's buckets are, like, attacking the paint. And with AD dropping and, you know, in drop coverage sitting down there, he's like the best in the league at playing two guys at once and just making you think about either throwing the lob or going up strong. And he can just basically take away both. He was amazing to start this game. I think he had three blocks in the first quarter, eight points, was being aggressive. And the Lakers led by five after one. LeBron, a little quieter to start the game. D'Lo was cold to start the game, but... You brought in some reinforcements off the bench. Rui Hachimura was hitting some shots. And Austin Reeves also got off to a good start. The Grizzlies, however, though, in the second quarter made their push. John Morant was starting to hit in the pick and roll. Jaron Jackson, I thought, was really aggressive. He scored three times posting up LeBron, babying him. And this is the thing about Jaron Jackson. He's got jump hooks with both hands. So that's what makes it that much more frustrating to me when he doesn't actually try to post dudes up. Like, he was having success on basically everybody but AD in this game. So that lets me know that he can be a go-to guy going forward. Like, Jaron Jackson should be an all-star for many, many years to come. And he should be able to grow into that second scorer for Jaw. And a time to maybe create easier baskets. But the guy that I thought was, you know, contained pretty nicely was Desmond Bain. He was the guy that honestly had the best series of any Grizzly against the Wolves last year. And... Austin Reeves was guarding him. Jared Vanderbilt was guarding John Morant. I thought Jared Vanderbilt was trying his best, but John Morant, I think Jared Vanderbilt is an amazing help defender, and he's really good in the passing lanes. I think point of attack, he's good as well. But against smaller guards, I think Vando, I mean, Jaws is hard, you know. Jaws is hard to, you know, fight over screens and stay attached to. He has such an amazing explosiveness coming off those screens. And attacking the basket. Um, this is factually incorrect. One of the comments says he had 10 points. It's factually incorrect. He actually had 18 points. Um, he was 8 for 14. The Grizzlies were up 30. Uh, I'm sorry, outscored the Lakers 38 to 27 in the second quarter. They were going with Luke Kennard, the nuke. Ta uh, Terrence, what the hell is it? Tyus Jones. My God, I don't know why I was having such a brain fart there. 
Tyus Jones and Santi Aldama were the only guys really playing real minutes off the bench. Roddy came in for nine minutes. And, I mean, he was a plus seven in his minutes. Big body to play some defense. But overall, it was the starters playing the majority. And the Grizzlies went into the half up, fifth, I think it was 65 to 59. Yeah, 65 to 59. I thought LeBron in the first half had, he wasn't good one-on-one defending. But I thought that you could see that his help defense was better. And he was being active in the passing lanes. And he got several blocks one of those a couple of chase down blocks and he continued that part throughout the game so one thing I kind of liked though about LeBron was like he was letting D'Lo Austin Reeves play make and I think less again I've always been an advocate of less is more when you have other talented guys on the team and I think that's also been one of my criticisms with LeBron sometimes I think sometimes he can underestimate his teammates ability to create and that's been throughout his career, I'm saying. Like, he doesn't have to do so much, but I think he wants to do a lot. But now he's a little bit older, conserves a little bit, is better. Especially if it means he plays better defense. And I also think, you know, LeBron can find points on... The, like, for example, the D'Lo AD high pick and roll, sometimes they fall asleep and LeBron is shown to cut when they do fall asleep. And... Again, I always say, when LeBron's moving without the ball, it makes him a much better player. And he's... You know, been better about that the last two years. I've, I've said multiple times on the show. And if he continues to do that, especially when AD and D'Lo, all eyes are on them in the pick and roll. When he cuts on the weak side or even on the strong side, I think, honestly, strong side is probably easier for D'Lo to find him. Um, when AD's going right, let's say, and LeBron will be cutting left. D'Lo, by the way, started turning up in the second half. And it was it took a little while. And obviously, D'Lo, he hasn't had a good playoff series in his career to me yet. Look back at his series stats against the Sixers and against the... Um, who was it that they played? The Grizzlies last year. Didn't have a good series. But in this game, he started to hit shots in the pick and roll. He started to hit his threes. He had this really nice pull-up where he pump faked. I forget who was guarding him. He got him in the air, hit the jumper. And as far as the Grizzlies, you know, they still shot 36% from three. But like Dylan Brooks, two for nine. Desmond Bain, three for ten. So, you know, Santi Aldama shot two of three. John Morant shot two of three, but... Those guys aren't really going to shoot much. Jaron Jackson, two for four. The guys that are shooting a lot of threes, the Dylan Brooks, Desmond Baines, they were broke. And the Lakers outscored the Grizzlies 37-25 to in the third. Anthony Davis continued to be really good. And it's not just really his scoring. I thought that he actually wasn't insanely aggressive in this game. You might need him to be a little bit more aggressive. But his rim protection, his defense is just unbelievable. I mean, we've become so accustomed to it here in Los Angeles, but sometimes I feel like AD's defense needs more attention on a national level. Um, it's just amazing what he does and the way he affects the game. I mean, in this game, you can argue who was the player of the game, but so far, when you for the, everybody that wants AD to take the reins from LeBron as the man of this team, game one looks like AD was better than LeBron. And that's not to take away from LeBron, who I think... Started playing better in the second half. He, he was like 0 for 5 from 3. Then he started making some, including one deep one, to put the Lakers up 94-88. And then as the game was starting to get pretty close, I think it was 103 to 102. That's when we had the John Morant injury scare. And by the way, we had an Anthony Davis injury scare. He said right before the second quarter ended, he took a little shot to the shoulder. He said that he couldn't feel his arm. So I was scared that, oh my God, you know, maybe Anthony Davis is going to be injured again and whatnot. But he ended up coming back and was fine. So thankfully there, 
But John Morant goes up to the body of Anthony Davis, falls on the ground. He went up so high. Falls on the ground and brace, braces his fall. And, man, I've, I mean, I've never got up that high in my life. But I've had, obviously, everybody has played on the playgrounds or whatnot, has braced their falls before with their wrist. And that one, was, was how high he was in the air, that did not look good, man. And he had, like, wrapping around his arm. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the the injury was listed as, but apparently he said after the game the pain level was a 10 out of 10. So that makes me a little bit nervous if you're the Grizzlies or a Grizzlies fan, which obviously we fucking hate the teddy bears on this platform. But, I mean, you want to still see a good series. You know, I know Laker fans don't care, but, you know, I want to still see a good series. So I hope he's okay. But I think actually the game really turned against Memphis when he came out. I think it looked like Jaron Jackson Jr. was going to potentially try to pull off a carry job. And look, I think it was one of the best games I've seen Jaron Jackson play. I mean, for him to stay aggressive so much offensively like that was something you just hadn't, I hadn't seen much before from him. But the Lakers did a good job closing it out on a 15 to nothing run. It was 113 to 112. Sorry, not 103 to 102. It was 113 to 112. Rui Hachimura was amazing in his playoff debut as a Laker. He hit big shot after big shot. They kept leaving him open for three. At some point when he's making that many threes, you got to like just let someone else shoot the three and not don't have to make the extra rotation. 11 for 14 from the field. He had an offensive rerun and put back two. He had buckets in the fourth quarter. He was actually the Lakers' leading scorer in this game. 29 points on an insane 11 for 14 shooting and 5 for 6 from 3 in 30 minutes. Like, you want to talk about efficiency? That was insane. Will that be his best game of the series? I would assume so. That's insane. But who knows? I mean, as long as you get a consistent 14, 15 points efficiently, gets to play some solid defense, uses size to, you know, just be annoying to guard, that's all you need. But the guy I really need to talk about, man, I talked about AD, talked about LeBron making some plays, but LeBron was able to watch somebody else dominate in the pick and roll at the end of the game. And that was Stone Cold, Austin Reeves, Hill Killy, Hillbilly Kobe, AR-15. What a performance from him in his playoff debut. He just seems like the kind of guy who's made for this moment who won't get phased by shit like this. And he was cooking in that drop coverage. Mid-range, snaking it, weaving it, finding guys for open shots, threes just coming right off the screen. It was an amazing performance by Austin Reeves to close that game. And the Lakers, you know, they were just kind of rubbing it in at the end. Just bucket after bucket, steal after steal. And they win it. 128 to 112 in Memphis, stealing home court advantage. Of course, the Grizzlies and the Clippers, the only two teams now in the Western Conference, the Lakers, have not played in a best of seven. This obviously is their first time playing Memphis. And in a hostile environment, they came out and got the win. Again, I think Memphis just is it's just they don't have the bodies in this series to handle the Lakers. Brandon Clark is a massive loss. Steven Adams is a massive loss. And now if they're down John Morant, you know, I think at times. The Grizzlies can play smarter basketball, better team basketball without jaw. Um, but we'll see. I don't know about it in this series. Let's read the lines, though. 128 to 112, Lakers win it. They outscore the Grizz 69 to 47 in the second half. For Memphis, Santi Aldama came off the bench and gave them eight points and six boards. Thought he did a good job rebounding, but he was a minus 23. Don't think that really indicates how he played. I thought he was actually okay. 
Um, but here's the thing, though. I'm looking at the game from a Lakers fan perspective, so I'm not seeing every like analyzing every defensive play for the Memphis side. So LA Channel, sorry. Luke Kennard, seven points in 26 minutes of play on two for five shooting, one for four from deep. I think the Lakers did a much better job of limiting his open shots in the second half. And then Tyus Jones, nine points on four for seven shooting in 25 minutes. I don't know why I felt like he was more quiet than usual. Um, but if John Morant doesn't play the next game, you're going to see a lot more of Tyus Jones. Then the starters for them, Xavier Tillman in 22 minutes. Didn't do much. Two points, three rebounds. One for four from the field. Desmond Bain, 22 points, five rebounds, and six assists on six for 18 from the field and three for 10 from deep. So you got to credit Austin Reeves there. He was chasing him over screens all night long and got a couple of blocks too. Desmond Bain, not a good shooting night. I guarantee you he will bounce back in game two, a must-win game for Memphis that I think they'll get. But if Jaw doesn't play, just like the Clippers, man, why not go in there and get two on the road? Why not? You know, that totally demoralizes the team and can pretty much end the series. Unless you're the 2021 Clippers, you know, who came back from 2-0 down against Dallas. But Dylan Brooks, 15 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists. I think that he wasn't that great, you know, defensively. He didn't really slow down anyone too much. And then 2 for 9 from deep. Jaron Jackson was awesome, though. Best Grizzly for sure. 31 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists. A steal and 2 blocks. 13 for 21 from the field and 2 for 4 from deep. He also was 3 for 3 from the line. John Morant, 6 turnovers though. A lot of jump passing, you know, getting careless with the ball. He had half his team's turnovers, so if he does play, he needs to be much smarter with the ball. I think AD though just makes you think um, when you're when he's going up like that. Because usually when John Morant will go up at the rim, he's not really thinking about passing. He'll try to go dunk on you, but AD, he's going to make you make other plays, make, make you make business decisions. 18 points, 6 rebounds for Jaw. Eight for 14 from the field and two for three from deep. It was unfortunate they had to come out of the game. And I hope he's okay. But the Lakers win it. 128 to 112. Both LA teams getting a win. LA, how are we feeling, man? Tell me in the comments. And the Kings play tomorrow against Edmonton. I'm going to be live tomorrow, obviously, because we're going live after every single game of the playoffs. Obviously, I'm not a hockey analyst, but I'll probably give my exact reaction, a little bit of a reaction to uh, the Kings. And then we'll go on to the other two games. Golden State, Sacramento, and then Philly versus Brooklyn. But the Lakers get the win. Clippers get the win. Both teams stealing game one on the road. I think the Lakers, man, got a good shot of just winning this series in six games. If John Morant doesn't come back, maybe even five games. Where should I go next? So we got, what, three games left? Please tell me it's only three games and not four. Okay, thank God. Let's go with... Miami and Milwaukee. So, obviously, I was expecting the Bucks to beat the shit out of the Heat. But the Heat, man, they played the perfect game. They played the perfect game. Everybody was hitting threes. Jimmy was incredible from the tip-off to the end. He was aggressive. And here's the thing, man. Drew Holiday is one of the best defenders I've ever seen. And this was one of the first times I've ever seen Drew Holiday not slow someone down like that at all. Jimmy Butler... Whether it be, you know, getting somebody else on him or even Drew on him, was turning the corner on those screens, knocking down his mid-range, getting to the bucket, getting to the line. And one thing I really like about Jimmy Butler lately the last two years is that he has found a way to score in so many different ways 
off the ball. He has become such a great off-ball player, reading screens, backdoor cuts, just finding ways to score the gritty points, the chippy points, the points that are not just that you have to go earn. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Points that you have to go earn but are not just handed to you. You got to just have good anticipation. Just find ways to score even not against half-court defenses or having somebody create the shot for you. And Jimmy Butler cutting without the ball, rebounding, doing these things. He finds a way. The Heat were up nine after one. I thought that the Heat strategy was pretty good defensively, just loading up on Giannis, making other guys beat you. And the Bucks were not hitting threes in the beginning. Um, they were really struggling for three all game, while the Heat weren't. The Heat were 15 for 25 from deep in the game, 60%. I heard that was their best three-point shooting game of the season. The Bucks were 11 for 45 from deep. And one thing that I thought was ridiculous was that Brooke Lopez – had Max Struess guarding him. The, the Heat were starting with that same starting lineup with like Max Struess or Jimmy Butler playing the four. And Brooke Lopez, who's a good post player, I know he doesn't post up like that anymore, who is a good post player though, was not being fed the ball. At all. He wasn't even trying to post up. That's on two different people. Bud for not drawing it up to tell him to do it. And secondly, for him to not go demand the ball. Just He just wants to sit at the three-point line and space the floor for Giannis and whoever it may be. But, you know, I think one big weakness with the Heat is that they struggled on the glass. So go for offensive rebounds against them. And I think the Bucks, you know, they didn't do enough of that, in my opinion. It was just a lot of long threes and one-and-done possessions. You know, they got eight offensive rebounds to the, to the Heat's four, but I think they can still get more given their size. And Brooke Lopez wants to stand outside of the three-point line. That's a bailout for Miami. It's a bailout for Miami, but Jimmy setting the tone. Tyler Hero actually got off to a really good start as well. And the guy that really surprised me more than anyone in this game, Kevin Love. He had a terrible stint in the Hawks playing game, but he was amazing in this game, playing the five and... (laughs) He held his own. He was even playing alongside Bam at times, and I think that was a better look because he's a more traditional four. But that's what's just disappointing about the Milwaukee Bucks in this game is that, you know, they had moments like Kevin Love playing the five and whatnot, and they just couldn't score consistently. And Giannis, so Giannis goes into Kevin Love. Kevin Love took like two or – he took multiple charges, but he got two or three, you know, drew two or three offensive fouls. And he was also hitting his three ball and rebounding and making some decent, you know, classic Kevin Love outlet passes. But when Giannis hit the floor and he hit his tailbone, they they described it as a back contusion. But he hit the floor hard. And he went to the locker room. And, man, now that puts Milwaukee's postseason hopes and championship hopes in the biggest danger. I mean, we've seen Giannis get hurt during the playoff run that he won the championship. And it just makes you worry, man. It just makes you want him to be back soon and just hope he's okay. I don't know if he'll play the next game. But look, this series is going six games now minimum with the Heat winning that game. And if Giannis doesn't play, then the Bucks are in real trouble. Um, I thought that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, you know, they were trying. Bobby Portis as well. I thought he was amazing, like virtually automatic, whether it be those push shots in the pick and roll, getting the ball in the post. His right-handed jump hook was awesome. He even hit – oh, no, he didn't hit a three. I thought he did. 
but 21 points on nine for 15 shooting for Bobby. He came in and immediately gave him that energy, you know, taking charges, being physical defensively. Um, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, I think the one bright side for the Bucks is that Chris Middleton was back. He was awesome. He was knocking down all sorts of shots. His contested jumpers that he would become so accustomed to seeing over the years, getting to the basket, getting two feet in the paint, even though he's not the quickest guy in the world, and finishing around there. Drew Holiday, on the other hand, while you know he's still a good defender and all that, and didn't have the best defensive game against Butler today, he still made a bunch of good plays in the pick and roll. But he was shooting way too many quick threes. My one thing with Drew Holiday is, if only his offensive IQ was as high as his defensive IQ. Yeah, he's much better than Eric Bledsoe, but he takes a lot of silly threes. Every time he got to the basket or got into the paint, he created a good shot for Milwaukee. But instead, he wants to settle for threes, sometimes without even passing the ball, coming up the court. Nah, man, it's not good. Um, but the Heat just continued their onslaught. You know, Tyler Hero, by the way, though, apparently he broke his hand at the end of the first half. It looked bad. He shot a shot in the right corner before halftime, didn't even draw iron, and that showed that, you know, he was clearly hurt. And that sucks. You know, Tyler Hero, obviously so important for this Miami team. You know, the second perimeter, you know, second leading scorer on the squad. The, you know, basically the main ball handler this season. And now he's likely out for the rest of the series, so... It's going to be tough for Miami to generate a lot of points. I thought in the second half, you know, what brought the Heat home was uh, Bam Adebayo. Also, Max Struess made some big shots, so I don't want to leave him out. Second straight game where he hit some big shots. He was 3-for-5 in the game and 2-for-4 from deep. And also Caleb Martin. Huge contribution from him. 15 points, 5-for-7 from the field, and 2-for-3 from deep. But it was the Jimmy Butler show in this game overall, you know. Milwaukee even tried to go zone at times because what was happening was Brooke Lopez is in that deep drop, right? He loves to drop deep. Kevin Love, the angle of putting him in is pick and pop threes. And they were getting those looks. And he was hitting those shots. And Brooke Lopez wants to pick and pop as well. He wasn't really hitting the three ball in this one. So the Bucks, as I said, a terrible shooting night from three. The Heat made their shots. Jimmy Butler was amazing. Finishing over Lopez. Just big play after big play. And I think what brought them home was Bam Adebayo. He was being left open. They were inviting him to take that mid-range. He was getting those push shots in the pick and roll. Great passes by Jimmy Butler. And he was finishing. He was making his shots. And that, you know, Bam was kind of due for one of those games because he was poor offensively in those two playing games. For him to have a good game was huge for Miami. The Bucks. They kept getting it within like 10 or 5, but the Heat just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. So shout out to Miami. They showed great resilience in this game. Looked like a totally different team. And if you're the Bucks, Drew Holiday needs to not settle. You got to just make, make or miss league. You just got to make your open shots. You also got to crash the offensive glass more. And post Brook Lopez up more when he's got guys like Max Struess on him. Let's read the lines. The Miami Heat, as the 8th seed, Steal game one, 130 to 117 in Milwaukee. They now take home court advantage. The big quarter for them, in my opinion. I mean, they led by nine after one, led 68 to 55 at halftime, and the Bucks only won the fourth quarter. So the Heat, I mean, they led pretty much the whole game. Let's read the lines. Zach's the Heat fan says, honestly, felt like we did just as fine without Tyler. Absolutely, but I just don't know. I just don't think you're going to be shooting that well every game. So I don't think the Heat will have the offensive firepower without Hero to win this series. I mean, the Bucks are still a good team without Giannis. But without Giannis against Jimmy Butler, who knows? But if they do get Giannis, I think they'll be fine. 
Let's read the lines for the Bucks. They played a 10-man rotation. Jay Crowder played the least amount of bench minutes. It was his first playoff game in a minute, and he was just not making shots. Two points, 0 for 4 from deep. 1 of 5 on the, from the field. 15 minutes were given to Joe Ingles. I honestly think he should have played more because he was actually hitting his three ball. 3 for 7 from deep, 9 points. But Jimmy Butler was trying to get, like, all game long, the Heat were trying to get different guys guarding Jimmy. And Joe Ingles was one of the guys that Jimmy had uh, his way with. Got to the basket a couple times on him. Wesley Matthews played 18 minutes, 6 points, 2 for 4 from 3. Those were all his shots. Javon Carter, 2 points, 1 for 4 from the field, not much there. There was all oh, one play that was ridiculous. Javon Carter was on a 2-on-1 fast break with Middleton, and he pulls up for 3, and it was a huge play in the game, massive, I believe, in the fourth quarter. And I was like, if I'm butt, I'm taking his ass out after that. It's a terrible play. I can't stand when guys in the NBA do that shit, 2-on-1 and chuck up a 3. Bobby Portis was amazing off the bench. 21 points and 8 boards. 9 for 15 from the field. But 0 for 5 from deep. Then the starters. Giannis obviously only played 11 minutes. 6 points and 3 boards. Grayson Allen. 31 minutes played. He had 12 points on 5 for 7 shooting and 2 for 4 from deep. It was pretty efficient. But he didn't really get them any clean looks. And then Brooke Lopez. 10 points, 4 rebounds. Just not very good. Did not have the defensive game that you expect. He did have 3 blocks, but... He got, you know, when, the, when he's going to drop deep like that, Kevin Love pick and pop threes. It's a good counter by Spo. Four for seven from the field for Brooke. O for three from deep. Just two for three from the line. And then the duo, Drew Holiday, 16 points, seven rebounds, and 16 assists. So as I said, creating tons of good looks, especially with those pocket passes to Bobby Portis. Just a lot of great shots. But six for 18 from the field. And here's the stat. Two for nine from deep. That lets you know everything. He was four for nine from two. But when he shot those threes, a lot of times not even passing the ball, brick. Chris Middleton, though, that's a good sign that he was able to play at that high level that we're accustomed to seeing him play at. 33 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists for Middleton. An amazing 60% from the field on 12 for 20 shooting. 2 for 7 from deep, but 7 for 10 from the line. You expect him to make one more of those. And then the Heat. Kyle Lowry, pretty quiet in this one after having an amazing game against Atlanta. 2 points. One for one from the field in 19 minutes. You even saw Duncan Robinson check in this game because Hero got injured. Played six minutes, made one three, only shot two shots. Caleb Martin, 15 points on five for seven shooting and two for three from deep. He was amazing. And obviously plays hard on defense too. Kevin Love, 18 points and eight rebounds. Shout out to my guy, All Ball. He was the one saying that Kevin Love still can be a contributing factor. He didn't look good with that take after the play-in game, but he looked really good after that one. 18-8 and eight for K-Love, 5 for 9 from the field, 4 for 7 from deep. As for the starters, Max Struess, 8 points and 5 boards. He also held his own defensively when they tried to target him. He was struggling against Atlanta, did much better in this one. 3 for 5 from the field and 2 for 4 from deep. Tyler Hero had 12 points on 5 for 9 shooting and 2 for 4 from deep in the 19 minutes that he played. Gabe Vincent. Also with some big shots in this one. 15 points for the UCSB Gaucho. 5 for 6 from the field and 4 for 5 from deep. And then the duo. Bam Adebayo, or as Kendrick Perkins would say, Bam Adebayo. 22 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 steals. He did turn the ball over 5 times, which is a third of the Heat's turnovers. So you got to limit that if you're Bam. But 10 for 18 from the field. Only 3 free throw attempts, made 2 of them. But he hit big shots, and if Bam can just continue to hit those mid-ranges, hit those shots around the key, changes a lot for Miami. It really does. The man, though, playoff Jimmy, activated. We saw playoff Kawhi. We saw playoff Jimmy. 35 points, 5 rebounds, 11 assists, 
three steals. I mean, the way the guy has played in the last two games after that bad game against Atlanta has been amazing. 43 minutes in the game to lead all players. 15 for 27 from the field. And for everybody that says, you need to have a great three ball to be a great scorer in today's NBA. Bullshit. Jimmy Butler shows you exactly why that's horseshit. Okay? 0 for 1 from deep. 5 for 8 from the line. 15 for 27 from the field. Getting it done on the offensive end. 35 points, and also not bad defense either with those three steals. Heat, huge win, and we got a series now. I just hope Giannis is okay. But now, the final two games, the two, the second and third best series, in my opinion, of this first round, the Cavs and the Knicks, and the Warriors and the Kings. Let's start with the Cavs and the Knicks. Knicks and Cavs, so this series is super interesting. We got Donovan Mitchell playing against the team that wanted him. First Cavs game, you know, first Cavs playoff game without LeBron and God, I don't even know how long of my lifetime, let's put it that way, of my time watching hoops. The crowd, honestly, was not as loud as I expected. They got loud at the end, but they weren't as loud as I expected. Same with Philly. Boston's crowd was great. Um, Milwaukee's crowd was really good. Phoenix's crowd was really good. Denver's crowd was pretty good, too. Memphis's crowd was awesome. There's obviously a clear winner here. I'm going to wait for the end with them. But Ah, the Cavs. So this was a really interesting game. I thought the Knicks threw the first punch. They came out with way more energy. The only like stint of the game where R.J. Barrett played well was in the beginning where you got a couple of steals. You could see what the strategy was of the Knicks. Drop coverage with Mitchell Robinson. With Randall, they would hedge the screen hard. And he was doing a really good job hedging those screens and coming out. Uh, and putting enough pressure on the ball handler, whether it be Garland or Mitchell, to not just be able to come off for shots, have to move the ball. And the guy that they were letting shoot open shots was Isaac Okoro, and he was not hitting, and, you know, he's their best defender on the wing, but when he's not making shots, he becomes kind of a liability. Six points on one of six shooting, and 0 for 4 from deep for Okoro, and he only played 23 minutes as a result. You know, Jalen Brunson got two fouls in the ninth minute of the second quarter, and he set up the rest of the first half. But the guy that gave the Knicks the first run, setting the tone, was Julius Randle. That guy came out like he hadn't even missed a day. Coming off the ankle injury, made a couple of jumpers. And that was the one thing against the Hawks two years ago. They totally loaded up the whole defense on him, shot a bunch of contested jumpers, and made none of them. But now he's got better teammates. He's also got Jalen Brunson. He's also had that experience before. And they're not throwing the same coverages at him, uh, Cleveland. They're going to let him go one-on-one. And he was hitting his jumpers. Hitting in transition, taking advantage of Cavs' turnovers. And that's one thing the Knicks did better than Cleveland. Took advantage of turnovers and rebounds. Looked to push the pace, especially with Josh Harden quickly in the game. That's exactly what Fabian talked about in the preview. That the Cavs, you know, they play a slow pace. Knicks got to look to get out and run when they can. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland off to a somewhat slow start in the first quarter. Evan Mobley got off to a solid start, though, on both ends of the floor. His defense was really good. And he had a couple of nice, like this one nice dunk with the left hand early on. And then the behind-the-back pass to Jared Allen on a little on a little uh, big-to-big action. But the Knicks led by 6, 30-24. And the rest of the game was just this very neck-and-neck game where, like, the Knicks would be up by 10, the Cavs would cut it back down to 5, and so on and so forth. Like, the second quarter was pretty low-scoring, only 21-20 to in favor of Cleveland. And it was just, as I said, close the whole way. Both teams were playing good defense. 
And as far as Cleveland is concerned, you know, Donovan Mitchell started to get much more comfortable in the second half, coming off those screens for, you know, threes, mid-ranges, you name it. But, and Darius Garland as well. He was knocking down shots. It's just that they have to do a lot. And Karis LeVert, when he came in, he was not very good in my opinion. He was. There were a couple of times he came off screens and he just wasn't shooting. He was passing up really solid looks in the in-between game. Kept kicking it out when guys were not open. And it was hurting the team. And I just think that the huge advantage, we talked about it in the preview, but the huge advantage that New York has is the bench. It's just night and day difference. Cleveland had Dean Wade, Jetty Osmond, Ricky Rubio, and Karis Levert coming off the bench. Jared Allen played 43 minutes. Darius Garland played 43 minutes. Donovan Mitchell played 44 minutes. And Evan Mobley played 38. The Knicks, nobody played over 34 minutes because they had Hartenstein play 22. Josh Hart played 33. Emmanuel Quickly played 24. And Obi Toppin played 14. So they have much more depth. And at halftime, it was 50-45 to 45 in favor of New York. The Cavs were still right there. The one thing I'll say is, you know, when Julius Randle does hedge the screen, Evan Mobley was getting a lot of four-on-three situations, and he wasn't really lobbing it up to Jared Allen. you got to credit Mitchell Robinson for that. I think he was afraid to throw up the lob, but... You know, he a couple of times he elected to just take the push shot or try to go up for the layup, and he was not hitting. He was missing chippies, like jump hooks, and, like, you know, he had one fadeaway over the right shoulder. He missed short. He just wasn't hitting around the rim, and it was definitely hurting Cleveland. And their bench wasn't really giving them anything. It was really just Donovan and Darius Garland. And in the second, in the second half, Jalen Brunson finally started to get cooking, starting in the third quarter. He was posting up Darius Garland. He had turnarounds over his left shoulder. I mean, that guy, I love that Jalen Brunson has post game for a guard, you know. Got good lower body strength, great touch. He's also an in-between game master. Started seeing him get in the pick and roll a little bit. But Mobley and Allen, man, they do a really good job in the pick and roll and drop coverage. Really good job. The only thing is, they a lot of times, especially Jared Allen, he I can see why they give up so many offensive rebounds. Because he goes for blocks a lot. And that leaves his man open on the offensive glass. So if a guy misses and he doesn't get the block, they're going to get an offensive rebound more often than not. And especially when they're leaving guys open at the three ball to sink in to protect the paint, those long misses are going to cause long rebounds. And those can go to anybody. you got to box out. And I think the Cavs, you know, as the game went on, they showed, like, the preview aged really perfectly so far. Everything Fabian and All Ball were saying happened. They're not a good defensive rebounding team, and the Knicks are a good offensive rebounding team between Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart and Randu. They totally took advantage of them. They won the game on the glass. No rebounds, no rings. Pat Riley said it. I say it over and over. It's a real thing. And the Knicks showed why it is. Randall slowed down a little bit second half. And then, and the way Donovan, by the way, Donovan Mitchell started really heating up in the third quarter. And the way he did that was he kept, and I, he made this signal. And if you're watching on the, you're listening on audio, basically to do it over and over again. And you know what he meant by that? Putting Julius Randle in the pick and roll. He came up. He was finding Evan Mobley on the pocket pass for those four-on-three reads. And when Jetty Osmond came in the game, now they had a guy that was hitting threes. I thought he had a solid performance, and he even had some good defensive moments. At the end, yes, you know he got scored on a little bit, didn't help rebound, but he, he was better than Okoro. He's not a better defender, but he had some decent moments. He had nine points in the game, three for four from the field, and he was two for three from deep. He was the only guy from, on the Cavs bench that gave him more than three points. Karis Levert was one for seven. 
One for seven. Over three from deep. They need much more than that from him. Only three points is not going to cut it. Ricky Rubio, 0 for one, a donut. Dean Wade, two points in seven minutes. You know, Jetty Osmond was the only one of those guys that's plus minus was in the plus. For the for the Knicks, though, man. Josh Hart coming in, getting to the basket in transition, rebounding, just making all the little plays, playing good defense. And the guy who just went so quiet throughout the game was R.J. Barrett. And you know what? I got to give Tom Thibodeau credit. He didn't overplay him. He knew exactly when it was time to go away from him and starting to limit him. Jalen Brunson was getting going. Josh Hart was getting going. R.J. Barrett, you know what? You know what the crazy part is? Fabian said at some point in the season that he doesn't think R.J. Barrett is a starter. He said he's a sixth man. A couple of people on Twitter were clowning him for it. But, man, it looked like that take aged pretty well because you can't tell me R.J. Barrett is affecting the game more than Josh Hart. You can't. And, by the way, I want to give Josh Hart a shout-out for two reasons. One, he's a Chelsea fan. And, two, because he has never played in a playoff game before this game. So I was really happy for him. And he played great. But Donovan Mitchell, when he they were putting Randall in that pick and roll, they were getting a lot of success, and he was starting to make shots. A couple of times they were just dropping for no reason. You really, if you want to drop on Donovan Mitchell, you just can't drop too deep because the second he comes off those screens, he'll pull a three and knock it down. He was finishing in the in between game two. Darius Garland not bad as well. The Cavs though were outscored overall, twenty eight to twenty five in the third, and at the end they were actually able to tie the game. It was getting really exciting. I was super entertained, man. So the four series, I mean, the Clippers series, the Lakers series, the Knicks series, and the Kings Warriors series are the top four. And then there's a huge drop-off with the other four. Although, you know, Miami could make that one interesting. But Jared Allen made a tip to put the Cavs up one, 93-92, with 2-12 left. And then Tom Thibodeau made two really big substitutions. He put Quinton Grimes in for... R.J. Barrett, and he put Isaiah Hartenstein, former Clipper Isaiah Hartenstein, in for Mitchell Robinson. And Josh Hart, with the shot clock winding down, the cat, by the way, Donovan Mitchell played really good defense, too. He's showing everybody exactly what I saw in the regular season, that he is not the defender that he was in Utah in these last two years. He's trying harder. There was one play where he dove on the floor and tipped the ball out, I forget who, for a layup or dunk, and... By the way, I also want to say the Knicks were putting Garland in the pick and roll a lot. They were trying to get him switched onto Brunson, and that's where Brunson was having some success. It wasn't to the point where he was like abusing him or anything, or, or Garland was a liability, but he's clearly the weakest link in that defense. But Josh Hart, with the shot clock winding down off the timeout after Jared Allen had given the Cavs the lead, hit a step back three, contested. I couldn't believe that shot. So clutch. Unreal. Put the Knicks up two. Donovan Mitchell finally missed. He missed a three. And then Jalen Brunson with a step back jumper. After that, Donovan Mitchell was able to make two free throws and make it a two-point game. And this is when the no rebounds, no rings part comes in. Josh Hart misses a shot. Isaiah Hartenstein gets the offensive rebound, which leads to Jalen Brunson getting the ball, driving to his left for a beautiful one-handed floater off the glass. The Cavs call timeout and get a quick two to cut it down to two. Jalen Brunson misses, and then Julius Randle gets the offensive rebound, and then that's the ball game. I got to say this about Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. They still rebound, but they do not, one, box out enough, and two, when they do, all they do is they just spread their arms. They don't put their butt down. I know it's weird and sounds weird. They don't put their butt down into the defender or into the offensive player 
so that they really can't get off the ground and explode. You got to take away their airspace. They're not doing it just like putting their arms out and hoping the ball comes to them, trying to grab and stuff. How are you such good offensive rebounders and can't defensive rebound? No rebounds, no rings. No excuses there, man. So moral of the story, Knicks have more depth. Cavs uh, didn't get enough from their bench. Donovan and Garland I thought were fine. And no, I'm not going to say Donovan didn't close because he was playing amazing in the fourth. He just, you know, he's not going to make every single shot. They got a rebound, but that counts Donovan and Garland too because a lot of these are long misses, so they have to rebound. Okoro needs to be better. Mobley needs to finish around the basket, and Allen and him need to rebound. But a huge win for the Knicks. They had to get that one because they were up the majority of the game, and they took advantage on points off of turnovers a lot more than Cleveland, and they killed them on, on the offensive glass. So the Knicks with a big win, 101-97 in Cleveland. 27-23, to the Cavs won the fourth quarter, but it didn't matter. Because the Knicks had an eight-point lead going into it. Let's read the line. So now a must-win game for Cleveland. I think they're definitely going to get it. I still stick by my pick, Cavs, in seven. But if I had the opportunity to change my pick, I think, honestly, the Knicks may just have too much depth. And Jalen Brunson's just that dude. I mean, he closed the game out big time. Like Randall quieted down in the second half. But one thing you really liked about Randall is that he didn't do too much. And that's a big criticism of Randall and a rightful one. He didn't do too much. Brunson killed it at the end. And was awesome the entire second half. 101-97 New York. Um, I'm, I'm still going to stick with Cavs in seven, though, as I said. Sticking with Cavs in seven. But the Knicks could easily win this series. As far as the starters for Cleveland. Okoro, six points on one for six shooting and 0 for four from deep. He needs to be better. Jared Allen, 14 points and 14 rebounds. So I know it sounds crazy because he's still got 11 defensive rebounds for me to criticize him like that. But still, you know, he needs to do a better job. He really does. It's a lot of possessions in the game. You know, the Knicks shot 88 shots. And he's on the floor for 43 minutes. So, come on. Double-double, um, though, for him on 6 of 8 shooting. Evan Mobley, 8 points and 11 rebounds. 5 of those are offensive rebounds. So, only 6 defensive rebounds. He needs to get more rebounds. Defensive rebounds. 8 points, 11 boards. 4 for 13 from the field, though. And he didn't shoot a foul shot. So, not a good game overall for Mobley. Even though his defense was good. And he's contested Randall's shots really well. You need to be better offensively. They lost, so that's all that matters. Then the backcourt, the star backcourt. Darius Garland, 17 points, four steals, one assist, though. I think you may want to put Darius Garland as the ball handler in the pick and roll a little bit more than you did for the Cavs. You know, he did get a lot of open threes, but you know, you I think you want him on the ball a little bit more because 13 shots, you want him to shoot more than that. Seven for 13 from the field, two for four from deep. Donovan Mitchell. It's just, you know, he's a very good playoff player. He's shown that. Obviously, he was not good last year, though, and didn't end well in 2021 against us. But 38 points in this one. Five rebounds, eight assists, three steals, and a block. I don't think he was at fault at all because I, I, he he well, I thought he played well on defense, too. 14 for 30 from the field. 16 of those shots were threes. Wow, that didn't feel like that. Six for 16 from deep, so not bad, honestly. It's a lot of threes, though. Four for six from the foul line. A good game for him, but it wasn't enough. The Knicks now. Obi Toppin played the least, played only 14 minutes, but I thought he had a really solid contribution. Nine points, four rebounds, really active, energetic, added athleticism to the team. He was a plus 12 off the bench. He was three for four, made a three in two attempts. Isaiah Hartenstein, 22 minutes played, had a huge offensive rebound, the biggest offensive rebound of his NBA career thus far. Eight points, a couple of those really nice push shots that became we became so accustomed to seeing here in Los Angeles for the Clippers last year. Eight points for him, 
five rebounds, a huge decision for Tibbs to go with him at the end, two for three from the field, and he was a plus 19, which is the highest for any Nick. Emmanuel quickly, in my opinion, the leading candidate for sixth man of the year. He had a quieter game. He was 0 for 5 from the field, but his defense was still pretty good. Three points, three rebounds, two assists, only 24 minutes for him, and I think that he's definitely going to play, play, play better in the next game. Quinton Grimes, 27 minutes played. Pretty quiet offensively. Good defensively, though. Five points, five boards on one for four shooting and one for four from deep. I think the Knicks have a lot better perimeter defenders than the Cavs. R.J. Barrett, 31 minutes played. Seven points, four rebounds, six assists, four steals, but two for 12 from the field and one for five from deep. Just nothing there really offensively. And then Mitchell Robinson, six points and eight rebounds. Thought he did a pretty good job defensively and then rebounding. Five offensive rebounds, so good job there. Three for five from the field for him. And then Julius Randle, 19 and 10, four assists, two steals. He did have five turnovers, though, and he was seven for 20 in the end, so he actually didn't end up shooting that well. Three for 10 from deep. I think that's what he has to stop doing. Stop shooting so many fucking threes. 30%. He shot 10 times. Like, you're not you're not that crazy of a three-point shooter, bro. Like, what does he shoot, 37%? 34%, even worse. He should not be shooting 10 threes. Like, who do you think you are, bro? Get in the mid-range. 7 for 20 from the field. I still think, though, because he played well in the first half and he got a huge offensive rebound and didn't do too much, I thought he was still good. And then Brunson, probably the player of the game. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Hart. Brunson, though, was arguably the player of the game. 27 points and two steals. 11 for 24 from the field. And I love that he doesn't shoot threes like that. 1 for 4 from deep, from deep. 4 for 4 from the line. The Villanova boys for New York. And the Villanova boys in general this weekend. Bridges and DiVincenzo too. About to talk about the Warriors in a second. But Josh Hart, in my opinion, the player of the game, was amazing. Rebounding, finishing in transition, hit the huge three late. 17 points, 10 rebounds, 5 offensive rebounds. 8 for 11 from the field, 1 for 2 from deep. The Knicks only shoot 42% from the field and 27.6 from deep. But they did shoot 86% from the line on 19 for 22. So that was big time. The Cavs, 43% from the field, only 32% from 3. And 71% from the line on 15 for 20. One, the Cavs in a must-win game too. Not a good loss, and the Knicks now have home court advantage. And now for the final one, some might argue the main event, my most watched preview besides the Clippers one, by my good guy, the local guy, and Dre, the Warriors and the Kings. What an atmosphere, as expected in Sacramento. I mean, it was fourth quarter level volume from the second the game tipped off. And I remember there was one dumbass, I forget who it was, on Twitter spaces last year talking about the Kings needed to relocate and fold. They already tried that. That sounds like a person that either was too young for the Kings or does not know basketball history because they have an amazing fan base and they had some of the most electric playoff games in NBA history in the early 2000s. So shame on people to make these kind of comments about really dedicated fan bases that are showing exactly why they should never have relocated anywhere. And I thought it was such an amazingly interesting game. In terms of you watch every single game and then you watch that one, the pace of that one is just on another planet. Like Sacramento and, and the, the way they, the two teams play offense is just so beautiful. You know, one thing I was looking at was, as we talked about in the preview, how is Mike Brown going to guard Curry? And it was a steady dose, as we expected, of Sabonis, 
hedging the ball screens hard, basically blitzing Steph Curry to get the ball out of his hands. And Klay Thompson got off to a really good start. Seven points, I think, in the first quarter. The Kings weren't really hitting threes like that. And DeMontis Sabonis was missing a bunch of chippies around the basket. But at the end of one, it was tied 29-29. I think it was a lot of adrenaline at that point. And Steph Curry wasn't really getting too many clean looks. But you just got to love the offense. Um, yeah, I do agree with the, one of the comments here. There was the most illegal off-ball screens I've seen. But I just love the way that the split actions, the down screens, the pin downs, that go into dribble handoffs. I mean, the spontaneous movement of these two teams. It's just amazing to watch. And, you know, you see guys like Kevin Herter now incorporating these things. In Atlanta, he was pretty stagnant. You know, he'd come down off pin downs and curls and shit, but not with this kind of regularity, not with this kind of spontaneity. And in the second quarter, the Warriors started to flex their muscles a bit, and you got to give huge credit to Kavon Looney and Draymond Green. thought their defense was just exceptional. On Sabonis one-on-one, their rim protection, Draymond's hands were just unreal. His well-timed help, he looked every single bit of that Draymond Green we've known for many years now. One of the best defensive players to ever play basketball and one of the best of his generation, if not the best, in terms of his, if, in terms of what you consider, like what's your definition of a great defender? I think in this era, being a good weak side help defender and being great defensively in the pick and roll is more important than being a great one-on-one defender. I think a one-on-one defense is more of a skill for sure, but I think if you were able to blow up plays the way Draymond does so frequently and then also be able to guard one-on-one, which he can do, he's not as good at it anymore. That's where I give him the edge over certain guys in this era as the best defender. But they did a really good job on Sabonis, and and the Warriors got some big help from their bench. You saw a nine-man rotation. It was Jordan Poole, GP2, Andrew Wiggins, and Jonathan Kaminga. And I want to give a shout-out to Andrew Wiggins to see him come back. And this was the scariest part. He didn't look like he missed a day. He hadn't skipped a beat. He came in hitting step-back mid-ranges, hitting threes, attacking the offensive glass, getting blocks off like pinning guys. It it looked like Wiggins hadn't missed a day. So if you're the Warriors and and their fans, yeah, he only played 28 minutes, but you're excited to give Wiggins more playing time. The only thing he didn't do well was shoot the three ball. It was one for eight from deep. But overall, 7 for 16 from the field and 17 points and 4 blocks after having missed basically 2 months of basketball? I mean, that was amazing. And DiVincenzo, you know, he was the one guarding Fox, which we expected. And Fox was the one guarding Curry, as we also expected. And he was fighting Fox. I thought he did a good job on him in the first half, Dante DiVincenzo. Just a very smart player, great addition to this team. Cuts without the ball. Moves it. And... You know, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, I thought they were decent in the first half, but Jordan Poole gave the Warriors a nice lift off the bench. You know, coming in, coming off screens, knocking down threes, knocking down pull-ups, and the Warriors went into halftime up 55 to... I'm sorry, it was 65 to 51. No. Yeah, 60... No, it was 61 to 55. Golden State was winning by six. The guys that actually came in and gave the Kings uh, points were bench guys. Trey Lyles and Malik Monk, the Kentucky boys. Malik Monk was getting to the basket relentlessly, challenging Looney and Draymond at the rim, finishing strong through contact. Trey Lyles was able to come in and make threes, and that kind of kept the Kings in the game, even though Sabonis and Fox weren't really hitting. And Herter and Murray and Barnes like weren't really hitting either, especially Herter and, and Murray. But... Second half, 
the Kings in the third quarter outscored the Warriors 36-29. And this game was very neck and neck the whole way. I mean, I got let me look up what were the biggest leads in this game because it was just so close the entire way. Let's see. Largest lead for the Warriors was 10. And I think that was in the second quarter. Largest lead for the Kings was 6. So throughout the second half, it was like very close. And that's when De'Aaron Fox started to get going. He started to get into the mid-range area. Started getting into the paint. And when De'Aaron Fox does that, he's got an amazing array of turnarounds. One-handed floaters. Push shots. He's just very tough to guard, and he gets very physical as well. Takes the bumps well. And because Andrew Wiggins, you know, is not starting, you're not able to get him on De'Aaron Fox as much just yet. You saw Gary Payton in there, and you even saw Mike Brown for a while go boxing one against Curry for a little bit with Davion Mitchell guarding Steph Curry, and it was working pretty well. And then you saw Steve Kerr for a couple possessions counter that with Payton doing a boxing one on Fox. So I thought that was really interesting, just seeing the chess match between the two coaches. And in the third quarter, Fox started turning up, though. Fox started turning up. Malik Monk and Trey Lyles were picking up where they left off. It was just becoming a shootout. And in the third quarter, the Kings outscored the Warriors 36-29. to They ended the third quarter super well, which gave them a lead going into the fourth quarter, 91 91- to 90 and oh man <laughs> the fourth quarter was something back and forth clay thompson hitting buckets uh steph curry was starting to get hot but malik monk was just making big shot after big shot and just the, the relentlessness in which he was attacking the rim was so impressive um but De'Aaron fox you know we were talking about clutch fox fourth quarter fox Pulling up for those mid-ranges. You know, guys are going to go under screens at times with him. He's done a good job of making them pay. And then when defenses go over screens, does a good job of keeping defenders on his hip. Hitting that little step back when he's going to his right now that he's got in his bag. And obviously the floater, as I talked about. Sabonis, you know, he may have not been making his shots. He was missing everything around the basket. As I said, you got to credit Draymond and Looney. But he was rebounding. He was fighting. Keeping possessions alive, similarly to how Russ did for the Clippers. And the Kings fans appreciated that. You know, that's another thing. you got to find ways, as I say all the time in the playoffs, to affect the game when your shots aren't falling. And DeMontis Sabonis' shots weren't falling. There was great defense. You're playing against the best defenders. You know, you're playing against the highest level of competition. But you find other ways to contribute by getting rebounds. And the Kings just stayed ahead. And late in the game, Steph Curry started to get hot. He and Klay Thompson started making some big shots. And I'm not going to lie, I was starting to get a little nervous with the Kings. I wanted them to win this game. You know, I want to see the Warriors kind of squirm a little bit. They've never lost the first two games on the road of any series they've played in the Curry era. Any two first, the first two road games, whether they're the higher seed or the lower seed, they have split them every single time. Klay Thompson was two for four in the fourth. All the shots were threes. He made, yeah, he made two of them. Steph Curry... I mean, some of the shots he was making in the fourth, he was getting aggressive. He was 5-for-8 in the fourth quarter, and it was the stretch where Curry came out of the game at the around the end of the third where the Kings started putting on a run. And, you know, that's normal, man. Steph Curry, he's going to have to rest. You want him to play the whole second half, that's very hard. You know, you, maybe he'll get gassed at the end. 
you can argue maybe Kerr kept him out a little too long. Maybe he should have done what Kawhi, what the Clippers did with Kawhi, just sit him out for like two minutes and then bring him back in. I think hindsight's twenty twenty. He'll probably do that in the second game, but that stretch kind of hurt them. But that being said, they were only down by one, you know. And I think the Kings. I mean, they just did a good job closing that home crowd. It's very. I'm gonna tell you, it's very hard to beat that home crowd. I mean, if anybody can do it, it's the Warriors. You know, they're battle tested. They've been in more hostile environments than basically any team in this playoffs. But it's hard to win against that kind of crowd. I'm being serious. And with 47 seconds left, it was a one-point game. Steph Curry had hit five straight points for the... I'm sorry, seven straight points for the Warriors. And De'Aaron Fox missed the step back. Malik Monk gets the offensive rebound. And then Fox misses again. And then this is where the big possession came. Steph Curry didn't want to go against Davion Mitchell. Did the LeBron. He called for a screen. You know what they're going to do on the screen. They're going to blitz. Klay Thompson in the short roll. Found Andrew Wiggins for a wide-open left corner three. It was a great look. He missed it back of the rim. The Kings were then fouled. Both free throws were made by Malik Monk. And then the Warriors called time. Steph Curry, it was a really nice play, by the way, by Kerr. Steph Curry got a three off. It was a one-legged three going to his left, and it didn't go. And the Sacramento Kings lit that fucking beam as they beat the Warriors in game one, 124 to, I'm sorry, 126 to 123. What a win for the Kings. They outscored the Warriors 35-33 in the fourth quarter, scored 71 points in the second half to the Warriors, 62. And look, the biggest problem for the Warriors they couldn't contain the ball at the point of attack. That's going to need more minutes from Andrew Wiggins next game, 30-plus minutes. You know, Devin Chen's only played 20, but the other guys, they struggled at the point of attack, you know. And Sacramento's defense, like, look, it did enough. You know what I mean? It did enough. The Warriors actually shot well, though. That's the crazy part. You know, 37 um, – actually, no, they didn't. 32% from three. So they, have, they didn't shoot that well from three. They shot 53s, by the way, Golden State. Made 16 of them. So maybe that's a little bit much. I didn't even notice that. Um, 28 of them by the Splash Brothers combined, which honestly you'll take. 11 for 28 isn't very good, though. But, like, Wiggins shooting eight of them. It's a little much. But, yeah. If there's any team that can take 53s, it's the Warriors. But that's still a lot. I think they could still mix up some more mid-ranges in there. Try to be a little bit more aggressive. But defensively. It's going to be hard to win when you allow 126 points. You know you know the Kings are going to allow a lot of points. Um, but the Warriors, you don't expect them to allow a lot of points. I know their defense hasn't been as good as, as good this year, but it's been better lately. They're going to need to tighten it up, especially at the point of attack, if they're going to want to win this series. And now it's going to make Game 2 basically a must-win for both sides. The reason why I say that is this. If the Kings go up 2-0, then the Warrior fans will actually be scared. Because this will this has never happened to them before. Now you're going to have to come back from a 2-0 deficit. You're going to have to win four out of the next five games, right? Yeah. you got to win four out of the next five. So that's tough to do. And I don't know if they'll do it with this team. They're going to have to get some stops. <laughs> it's going to be tough because this Kings offense is electric. So, and then if you're the Kings, the reason why I say it's a must win is because if you get if you lose second game, 1-1 going back to Chase Center with the way they played at home and the experience that they have, it's tough. And I'm not going to lie, man, I still I picked what Warriors in 6, and I still feel pretty good about that pick. I think they're going to come out and win the next game because look, even though they should have probably won that game, 
a loss like that, it doesn't demoralize a team that's that battle-tested. You know, I get it if it's a younger team that has a chance to steal and they didn't get the job done. We didn't really have a team that did that. I would have I said maybe if the Knicks had lost, but they won. And and maybe if the Clippers had lost, it would have demoralized them, but they won. The, the Warriors are battle-tested. They've been there before. I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to shoot better from three. I think you're going to actually have a more efficient shooting game um, from Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, believe it or not, even though Steph still shot 11 for 20 from the field. So still shot 55%, which is just incredible. Um, and it felt like he was kind of quiet, too. That's the crazy part. Like, I actually think that Mike Brown did a pretty good job with his scheme of, of trying to get Steph Curry to not take too many shots. I mean, 20 shots, that's fine, you know? That's fine to me. But let's read the lines. The Kings go nine deep. Alex Len, I'm, I'm, oh, man, I'm so bad I forgot to mention him. I thought he actually played great. He gave them some amazing minutes. Finished around the rim, defended pretty well. He got a block. He had seven rebounds, two of them offensive rebounds. He was two for two in 13 minutes, plus 10. So Alex Len showing off some good minutes with the Kings off the bench. And then Davion Mitchell you know, only, only played 22 minutes. He had three points and four assists on one for three shooting and one for two from three. But it's the defense with him. He makes the defense so much better. He's the best on-ball defender they have. And he was valuable in those 22 minutes that he played in. Trey Lyles, amazing game for him. Amazing. Had to be his best playoff game yet. 16 points and six boards on six for eight shooting and four for six from deep. He was absolutely lights out. They needed him. He and Malik Monk combined for 48 points off the bench. Overall, the Kings had 55 points off the bench to the Warriors 50. And the Kings won by three. They outscored on the bench by four. Definitely made a little bit of a difference. Malik Monk played 29 minutes in this game. 32 points, 8 for 13 from the field, 2 for 4 from deep, and 14 for 14 from the line. Amazing, amazing performance by Malik Monk. You can argue he was the player of the game. Then the starters. Keegan Murray just had a cold game. I think he's definitely going to play better than that. 2 points on 1 of 5 shooting and 0 for 3 from deep in just 16 minutes in his first playoff game. Kevin Herter also had a tough night, man. Six points on three for 12 shooting and 0 for 5 from deep. Harrison Barnes, really solid performance actually for him. He started out a little bit quiet, but he made some big shots, and he actually guarded Steph Curry a little bit while struggling. But the fact that he even took that challenge and didn't get completely smoked was big time. So Harrison Barnes, 13 points, seven rebounds, three steals on five for 11 shooting and one for three from deep against his former team. And then the duo. Sabonis, 12 points and 16 boards to go along with three steals, only two assists in this game. He did turn the ball over four times, so you're going to want to limit that. Five for 17 from the field for Sabonis and two for four from the foul line, so not a good shooting night at all. But 11, I'm sorry, five offensive rebounds for him, 16 overall. Find a way to contribute when you're not scoring, and you'll win games. And then probably the player of the game, he lit that beam. 40 minutes. The man drafted to Sacramento in 2017 in his sixth season, made his first all-star appearance this year, and closed out with a dominant second half. 38 points, five assists, three steals. He was ready for the fucking moment. 13 for 27 from the field, four for eight from three, eight for 12 from the line. Fantastic Mr. De'Aaron Fox, 38 points, that leads all scorers, and he leads his team to victory in game one. As for the Warriors, 
The player that played the least minutes out of the rotation was Jonathan Kaminga. He played 10 minutes, and I thought he was pretty solid in those minutes. Eight points, showing off his athleticism, finishing around the rim. It was three for six, missed his only two threes. Gary Payton, the second, played only 20 minutes. He had eight points, four rebounds, two assists, and two steals. I thought he was really solid in his minutes. Was able to be in that dunker spot, finish around the basket. And when the Warriors create turnovers, he's really good at getting out in transition. He was four for seven from the field, 0 for two from deep. Not a good three-point shooter. Dante DiVincenzo played 20 minutes. I don't know why he only played 20 minutes. Probably should have played more. But I was honestly just so in awe of the game. I wasn't really looking at it from a Warriors or Kings perspective. I was just kind of watching it generally. So I wasn't really locking in on the defense. More just kind of marveling in the offense. More so looking at the way they would guard certain pick and rolls. And mind you, the Kings, they weren't really putting Draymond in the action like that. Because Looney's the one guarding Sabonis. Draymond was guarding Keegan Murray. And I know they could probably run some pick and pop actions for Murray. But they would probably just switch that action. And yeah, they definitely would. And just putting Draymond in the action is kind of counter and, uh, counterproductive. So the Kings are kind of steering away from that, I noticed. DiVincenzo, 10 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists on 3-for-5 shooting and 2-for-4 from deep. He was very efficient. Probably should have played more. But again, I had to watch the game from a Warriors-only perspective to kind of maybe see what Kerr's angle was there. I wonder if more Warriors fans were complaining about that because I wasn't on Twitter last night. I had to watch all these games on Sunday. I, I, I had to watch three of them on Saturday, after, Saturday night. I avoided results all game. All day. Watched three straight games back-to-back. I couldn't watch the Warriors game. I fell asleep. I was too tired. It was like 3 in the morning. So I woke up today at like 9.30, 10 a.m. and watched it before the Laker game. So, yeah, next level commitment, right? Because I'm trying to do this episode for you thoroughly with eight, eight, all eight games recapped. I'm at two over two fucking hours, man. I can't believe my throat's getting dry. I'm tired. I still got to record Locked On Clippers after all this. Can you believe that? Grind don't stop, though. It's the playoffs. But, yeah, Steven Chenzo. 10 points. So I didn't see what Warriors fans were saying. I saw one Warriors fan. He's ridiculous, though. He's not really a Warriors fan. He's a Curry stand talking about the, the period where Steve Kerr, you know, sat Curry out, costing the game. Look, it was still a one-point game going into the fourth. I get it swings momentum, but, like, you just don't know if Curry's going to have those legs at the end of the game if you play him the whole way. Maybe you could say to play him, to sit him a little bit shorter in that period, but we'll see what happens in game two. It's not the end of the world. Um... Andrew Wiggins, I'm sorry, no, Jordan Poole played 22 minutes, second half was not very good, first half was though, thought he was struggling defensively, but he had 17 points and 3 assists on 4 for 10 shooting, 2 for 5 from deep, 7 for 8 from the line, Jordan Poole, 17 points is good, but it's got to be a little bit better defensively, got to try a little bit harder, Andrew Wiggins, 28 minutes played in his return, 17 points, 4 blocks, on 7-for-16 shooting, but 1-for-8 from deep. and Didn't have a good shoot, three-point shooting game, which I could expect, you know, coming off straight off this, you know. Probably a little rusty shooting the ball. But other, everything else looked good. Moving, moving good. Athleticism looked good. Of course, he wasn't hurt, so. But 2-for-4 from the line for Wiggs. One of those free throws definitely could have made a little difference. Also, Jordan Poole missing a free throw. As for the starters, besides the Vincenzo, of course, Kevon Looney played 32 minutes, their Iron Man, 8 points, 9 rebounds, 1 block, um, and 1 steal. A lot of Kings fans were kind of dissing Looney and saying, what's he going to do against Sabonis? Well, he held his own and looked fantastic. He kind of locked him up. There was obviously some help there, but really good defense from Loon. 8 points, 9 boards for him. And then Draymond Green, 4 points, 9 rebounds, 11 assists, 
Two steals and a block. 11 assists. Didn't feel like he had 11 assists. Only five shot attempts and made one of them. He was 0 for 1 from deep. So four points may not be enough. You still may need some more points from Draymond. Still, I, I said last year in their playoff run, they needed 10 points from him. He needed to average 10 points for them to win the championship. And I'm pretty sure that he didn't. I'm pretty sure he didn't average 10 points in the playoff run. But he made he had big games towards the end. And he had some better scoring games in the finals at, at the last couple of games. But let me see. I don't know. Let me see what he averaged in the playoffs last year. So he averaged six points in the finals. <laughs> but in the overall playoffs, he averaged... Let's see, Draymond. Eight points. So they won a championship without even averaging ten. So I was wrong on that. Uh, I think Draymond was great defensively. I think he can obviously be a little more efficient. One for five is not good. But I think, honestly, he gave you what you needed. His defense was so good. Four points, nine rebounds, 11 assists. And then the Splash Bros. Klay Thompson, 21 points, six rebounds, and five assists. I thought he was actually pretty good. Um, five for 14 from three. But honestly, probably still wasn't, you know, could be more efficient. Could still make more of those shots. Um, obviously, a good amount, good amount under 50% there in field goals and three-pointers. So, yeah, you could say Klay Thompson should be a little bit better. I think I kind of just got wooed by his first quarter and fourth quarter where I thought he was good. Steph Curry. Overall, I mean, it was Mike Brown's strategy to get the ball out of his hands, not let him beat you. And I think they did a good job overall. Of course, Curry off the ball is still going to find his way to get shots off. 30 points, 6 rebounds for him, but he had 5 turnovers. So that was big. 11 for 20 from the field, 6 for 14 from deep. I was going to say, I was so close to saying Curry didn't do enough, but then he turned up in the fourth, so I can't really say he didn't do enough. The, the decision at the end may have been questionable to call for a screen and not just go one-on-one against Davion Mitchell, but Wiggins got a clean look. It was a pretty good pass and a good play, and it just didn't happen for him. But we'll see how Steph Curry bounces back. It's going to be tough, but I think they're going to do it. Steph Curry, in my opinion, not really at fault. He was a plus 11 in the game, too. 30 points, 11 for 20, 6 for 14 from 3. The Warriors can do a better job defending. And hopefully for them, they can shoot the three ball better because 32% ain't going to cut it. But the Kings, they also didn't really shoot the three ball that well. 37.5% though is pretty good. So not horrendous. And also, as I said, 81% from the foul line, 26 for 32. Whereas the Warriors were 21 for 27. So they missed the same amount, but they shot five less. The Kings with a huge win, 126 to 123, taking care of business and now getting some confidence. And this next one is going to be massive. I cannot wait for tomorrow's games. Cannot wait. Golden State, Sacramento, game two. We're going to be live right here on Dime Dropper. Please, I hope you enjoyed this video. Shout out to everybody that was here. 62 people now, over 100 at one point. Thank you so much. Obviously, if you got to this point, and you actually listen to the whole two hours, you're amazing. I'm going to obviously have them timestamp for the games. But thank you so much. Please remember to subscribe if you're not. And comment on this video the second I end it for the algorithms, please. They help. We're really killing it right now. My subscriber count is going up every single week. Let's keep this momentum because I ain't trying to slow down and go back to last year. Keep commenting. Best fans in the world. Love you all. I'll see you tomorrow night.